2: Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two-for-two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.
0: We're posting an extra free pod this week. Wanted to do a preview of Dunked On Prime. We've been going... Absolutely nuts in terms of the content. Can't wait for the start of the season. But of course, if you'd like to hear from us five days a week with no ads, you can join up dunked on prime. Link is in the subscription. That's dunked It's your best way in audio format to keep up with literally everything that is happening in the NBA. Well, except for maybe the latest social media crap. But if you actually love basketball and want to hear about it every day, dunked on Prime is your best way to do that. Hope to see you there. All right, time to talk Raptors here, a team that I... Intentionally saved until the end because I wanted to get a look at what Scotty Barnes was going to be doing in preseason. And the esteemed Blake Murphy is on the line. How you doing, man?
1: I'm doing well. How are you?
0: Good. I'm excited for the new gig. Tell people where they can follow you for that.
1: Yeah. So uh, I've moved over to Sportsnet, which is one of our national sports broadcasters here in Canada. Uh, I'm hosting our, our morning show, 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern, every day, um, with two people named JD Bunkus and Alish Forfar, kind of doing all Toronto. Sports and a little bit of you know whatever else is going on in the sports world, and then uh, I'll also be writing at Sportsnet. Uh, maybe a little less volume than uh, than people are used to for me, but the same kind of stuff, cap stuff, nine hundred five stuff, the uh, the really nitty gritty stuff. Uh, I'll leave uh, I'll leave the Siakam and Van Vliet stuff to Michael Grange, and I'll take the the Sam Decker and Isak Bonga stuff, basically. <laughs>
0: yes, uh, the the Fred Katz model, in, in other words. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, although uh,
1: yeah, I've already bugged him enough about Isak Bonga, I think uh, I think I've used all my chits on Bonga already. <laughs>
0: Well, that's awesome, man. Although, covering basketball games and getting up for a 6 a.m. radio show might be a little bit difficult.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a challenge. So, so far, there have been three preseason games, and luckily, they were all the 7 o'clock start time. Uh, so, I'm going to need some of those. Uh, the It'll probably mean I'm at the arena a little less, too, but that's fine because, like, the current COVID protocols here don't really allow for um a great deal of access and you're basically sitting on zoom in person so um you know i miss being at the arena and watching games but this is okay for now
0: yeah uh uh, and i think like You probably are getting up right at the time that I'm going to bed here (laughs) on the West Coast. Yeah, the
1: alarm's been set for 4.30 lately. Um, At some point, I'm supposed to get at-home COVID tests instead of having to go into the studio and do them first thing in the morning. Yeah. So that'll save me, you know, 15, 20 minutes. But yeah, right now it's 4.30, which is uh, yeah, usually much closer to bedtime than wake-up time.
0: Yeah, all right, let's uh let's get to work here on these Raptors and the thing that struck me as I was preparing for this was that the way we've done this over the last two years has been okay. They they won or or uh you know, night 18-19. All right, you know, they won 60 games or 59 games I can't remember which uh, that season and then uh they traded Kawhi Leonard or, or they traded DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard and so we got pretty much the same team back except they got Kawhi Leonard uh, and A Green you know what, what does that look like and then alright we lost Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green but everyone else is back what does that look like and then last year it was like oh pretty much the same team except the centers are gone and now this year you look back and it's just not recognizable as the Raptors that we've known at, at this point to me.
1: Yeah it's uh, it's kind of a like Thusias' ship situation where you just slowly change one or two pieces at a time and like you look look and suddenly Chris Boucher is the second oldest player on the roster or third oldest player (laughs) on the roster. And um, like Van Vliet is the longest tenured employee and stuff like that. So it's a Things change pretty quickly in that regard. And this year's especially strange because I think when Kawhi Leonard left, we would have talked about this on your podcast. And just in general, the feeling was okay, this is gonna be like there's gonna be a two-year transition period here. Kyle's under a contract for two more years. Uh Gasol and Ibaka had one more year. Um, this that was the timeline before you know Siakam's on an extension and Van Vliet has to get re signed and Ananobi gets his rookie scale extension. So I think we all kind of expected a bit of a transition phase. Last year, obviously went south quicker and more dramatically quite literally
0: in, in fact
1: yes <laughs> um but yeah this is kind of it feels like year three of the two-year transition plan which is uh it makes it a little awkward to figure out exactly what direction they're headed in
0: no i that, that was going to be my next question to you of if there is if when you talk to people in the organization if there is kind of a transition plan for getting back into contention because Masai, i mean i i was in complete agreement with him i'm not sure how much the tampa thing had to do with this but their decision to not desperately chase the 10th seed like some of their brethren in that mm-hmm. quote-unquote race last year paid off they moved up in the lottery they got scotty barnes but you know this team on paper we'll, we'll talk about our projections but you know, kind of seems like that treadmill of mediocrity sort of team at, at the moment in terms of what their win total is going to be. And that just from some of the public statements that Messiah has made, and also just knowing that he's a, a smart guy, that doesn't seem on the surface like where they want to be. So wh- what do you think of of that? Like, is it is there more a, of a plan here? Are they just going to kind of all right let's see what happens this year and we'll adjust on the fly what is the thought as best you can tell
1: yeah i do think there's a little bit of judging this on the fly and you know they're almost on parallel paths here where siakam and van vliet contributed to a championship team they're 27 years old they're now getting paid uh what they're worth or in in some cases a little more than they may be (laughs) worth um so that is one path and that path would suggest you want to win now and you want to win as many games as you can and compete in the playoffs and and you have this alternate path where, well, you just got some lottery fortune and landed with the number four pick who is 19 years old or 20 oh yeah he's turned 20 by now um he's 20 years old and even guys like Gary Trent Jr you know he's 22 OG's 24 there's a younger Malachi Flynn's 23 there's a younger core of guys there now what where it gets complicated is yeah if if Barnes Ananobi Flynn Trent Jr Achua if all those guys were like no doubter prospects you'd be like yeah move on from Seattle and van vliet that's your core you're gonna push it down the line a little bit get one or two more lotto picks and you're cooking here but i don't think there's enough certainty there and i don't i certainly don't think there's an appetite to be in the lottery with any consistency for this franchise and i think that's a masai ujiri thing as a personality point as a culture building point as a selling point to the on you know guys coming to the raptors so they're in this awkward thing where i i think the hope this year is you know van vliet's Siakam to a lesser extent, Boucher and Birch and, and, and Dragic for as long as he's here. You know those guys float you a floor, and then it's Ananobi's growth and Trent's potential growth and Achua's growth and, and Barnes. Those offer you you know theoretical ceiling. Now I think it's probably going to turn out where they're fighting for like the seventh and eighth seed, and, and they are they're trying to host a, a play-in game. Um, and that's not you know you can be in that spot when you're on the climb up and it's fine, but yeah, there's a a little bit of lack of clarity of what takes this team from, and not even to a title team, but what takes this team from where they're at right now to the level they were at in 2019, 2020, or 2015, 2016, when, you know, they were kind of on the fringes of contention still, and that's a big question. I don't don't have a great answer for that, and I think that's what this year's about, finding out. Yeah, and maybe you see...
0: If Siakam can bounce back a little bit, I think Van kind of is, is what he is, but OG can make some strides. Barnes, maybe if he looks like a, a future superstar, uh, they get a little more development from Gary Trent. And then, you know, maybe it does look like a natural evolution over the next few years to be at least, you know, a 50-win type of team. They have all these long athletes that they're going to try to develop, uh, and they've been so good at, at development. So... I I just I don't think that that's likely to happen, but it also probably wasn't realistic to just say, oh yeah, they should have just moved Van Vliet in the off season and they should move Ananobi because Ananobi actually took some interesting strides last year, which, which we'll sure talk did. about. Uh, and obviously Siakam as well. Siakam, maybe they would want to move just because they don't like that contract very much. But, uh, so let's, let's attack this this way. Um, you know, I don't know how useful it is to discuss how good they were last year. I mean, and do you think we can get even anything out of that uh, by talking about last year or should we just like write it off completely
1: not really like like the the quick roundup is they were displaced from home they had um a COVID outbreak on their coaching staff and on their roster they had myriad injuries every player on the team missed at least a dozen games and they still had to actively sit guys out to make sure that they landed in the lottery instead of the play and so i do think that last point maybe highlights that they weren't quite as bad as the record suggests and the number four pick suggests like they still had to put in effort to be that bad but also like every single thing that could go wrong went wrong and they were not you know at one point they were like the worst team ever to have a positive point differential and it's like oh well that's predictive maybe they'll turn it around and then they were like no it's not predictive actually we're just gonna sit everyone and they they then floated to where their, uh, their point differential was a better match for their, their win total instead so Um, I don't think there's a ton there there's some Obviously individual stuff that we could Go through but that was as Close to a lost year as you're going to get In pro sports I think Yeah,
0: it it seems that way, and you know I think it's we're looking for for this year, and and they've had uh, some more turnover, obviously as well, Uh, and you know they don't have Kyle Lowry anymore, who's who's been their best player for a a long time, uh, except when Kawhi Leonard was there. But I think you can take away a little bit of something. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, the big thing that was such a disappointment for me was that their defense was so terrible, and Mm -hmm. that uh, part of that was. That teams just didn't make any three pointers against them two years ago, and then they made a lot of them, and their scheme gives up a, a lot of three pointers. So, has that been talked about at all? Uh, of just you know, are they going to try and give up fewer threes, or was last year the fluke? And they think that nineteen twenty was uh, more indicative because when you're trying to project how good this defense is going to be, which I think you know the offense I think is kind of easier for me to project the, than the defense uh, on this team. You know, have they talked about that? issue at all and what went wrong defensively a year ago
1: yeah um i don't think it's an answer that uh defensive purists are gonna like a whole lot um, the early talking points in camp have been, you know, how well are these new guys fitting to the scheme? And that scheme is a lot of aggression, a lot of pinching, a lot of doubling, um, basically selling out to force turnovers. And that's for a couple reasons. It's that turnovers are good and lead to easy offense. And then they do have the length and the speed to theoretically execute that way. And they're not going to have a very good half court offense. So the more transition buckets you can pour in the better now you can't give up like you can't be at the bottom of the league in surrendering corner threes and that's gonna be a struggle like like it's just preseason stats and it's just three games but 11 over 11 percent of opponent shots in the preseason have been corner threes and that's not particularly surprising um they gave up a boatload of those last year it was 11.9 uh, percent by the end of last year and at one point they were were, um, setting the all-time record for most corner threes allowed until until uh, the the Hornets pulled ahead of them there so. Yeah, I don't, think it's, uh, I don't think it's something that's going to change. I think it's something that they're okay with if those shots can come later and rushed. And they did lead the league in blocked three-pointers last year, which they think can unsettle shooters, but it's going to take some time. And, and there were a couple, you know, I think Danny Green had the most wide-open corner three he's had since the NBA Finals when he was ice cold uh, in a preseason game the other night, and there were like four Raptors staring at him, not entirely sure who the week's closeout or who was responsible for the weak side closeout so um especially with a young team and and some new faces i think there are going to be some bumps there in terms of uh, the three-point, the opponent three-point shooting. So it's just, it's not a part of their identity they're going to peel off of in terms of using their length and speed to be really, really aggressive in driving and passing lanes. Um, and, you know, we're going to hear, I would guess, we're going to hear Nick Nurse hammer that point in, in the media for, for weeks and months of, yeah, we got to close out the shooters and we have to do a better job of that. Um, but they're going to give up a lot of corner threes by nature of how aggressive they are everywhere else.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And I do think the using defense to create offense aspect is going to be big uh, and you know they were well known for trying to force everyone to the rim uh, and uh, get a lot of block shots uh, but you know maybe they don't have the same level of rim protection that they had a, a couple of years ago that might have been why things declined a little bit there's a lot of awesome stats like, the block three-pointer stats uh, is very interesting particularly uh, there's uh, this whole debate that has been ongoing for a long time the celtics were another one of these teams that just you know the idea of can you force teams to shoot a worse percentage from three well Well, giving up more corner threes is not a great start for that (laughs) necessarily. And so, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll buy it. As far as the block three-pointer thing, if you're talking about forcing a larger percentage of your threes in the last five seconds of the shot clock, where teams are like, all right, we got to just get this up here. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you're blocking 1% more of those three-pointers than somebody else is, I don't know how predictive that is, honestly. And and also, when you're blocking three-pointers, you're also leaving yourself open to the sidestep three or just another drive right past you as you're flying at the guys. So, uh, or... Uh, three-shot fouls as well, which is a, another potential yeah. issue if you're just closing out out of control. So I'm not sure how much I buy that. I think it'll be a, an interesting data point because that to me a. Is- where this team is defensively, that is just the number one question. I guess we can talked about that now since uh, we got to get to some of these sure. individuals too, but since we're on the subject, I mean, how good do you think this team's defense can be this year?
1: Yeah, I think certainly it needs to be uh, better than last year. Uh, definitely. This team's not a team that's going to score at a top 10 rate. I don't think they should be probably below average in the half court. Um, they'll be a, a really good transition team, but that only happens when you get stops and turnovers. So um, there's going to be a big emphasis on that Nick Hurst is always a guy who you know that's your foot in the door in the rotation is the defensive side of the ball Um, uh, I guess unless like, historically Norman Powell has been the guy who gets the pass on that I think it's Gary Trent this year because they're just so hungry for uh for shooting uh, but yeah this is a team that if they want to be who they think they can be and who they envision themselves as and if they want to be a team that can push toward 500 it has to be a top 10 defense and they're not going to be an elite defensive rebounding team because they don't have anyone over six foot nine and they play a lot of zone and they fly all around the court um and that leaves guys out of out of position for rebounding so what else are you gonna do right it's you know it comes down to okay are you forcing turnovers are you sending teams to the line are you grabbing defensive rebounds and what kind of shot spectrum are you giving up we already covered that the shot spectrum you know they might keep teams away from the rim but they're not going to keep them off the three-point line they're not going to be a great defensive team they're are young so i'd probably guess at the outset you know the free throw shooting the opponent free throw rate might not be particularly strong so yeah you're leaning a lot on the ability to force turnovers there and they were the best team in the league at that last year and again for a couple seasons in a row now a really good transition offense uh, but yeah this team this team has to kind of move i think and it's tough with a lot of new bodies they have to move from oh this is a really aggressive, this is a really interesting idea of how Super aggressive defense can lead to results. To oh, this is an effective idea. And right now, it looks like it's an effective idea when you have guys like Mark Gasol and Serge Ibaka and Kyle Lowry, less so when you know, last year when you're playing Freddie Gillespie and Malachi Flynn in those spots. So, um, that's that's the big story for me because I, I think philosophically they believe in this style of defense when you have a lot of long athletic guys. Um, and it's fun to watch, but it's gotta you know, it hasn't led to tremendous defensive performance yet except the times when they had really really good individual veteran defenders so um we'll see is the the shorter answer uh i'm cautiously optimistic about it because they just they have a lot of guys who can defend like og and siakam and van bleed and then you know if you believe that a, a rookie as talented defensively as barnes can make an impact on that end as a rookie and that's a an iffy thing even for really good defensive rookies Um um, there's some talent there, so cautiously optimistic.
0: Yeah, I had them when I went through it in kind of in uh, around tenth defensively. That's that's kind of yeah. what I I thought they might be. But going through their talent a little bit, maybe it's not going to be quite as good because you mentioned not only that they had all these great veteran defenders and a lot of athleticism as well in their heyday, but they also didn't have any weak links. That was the other thing that I loved about this team. Like they could switch. They just had so much scheme versatility. Obviously, they were smart to execute that type of stuff on the fly famously they just went to the box and won in the NBA finals in 2019 without supposedly even really having practiced it much if at all and they were just able to execute it so you know I think doing that type of stuff without having scheme breakdowns is going to be difficult for this team with Van Vliet really probably the only guy you look at as you know an especially heady defender at this point in time and then you also have some guys in the rotation who are not as good. Like, Goran Dragic is a liability. Flynn is small. The centers, I would say, are, you know, especially when you consider the lack of bulk, probably a little bit below average. They've got some shot blocking, but that's I wouldn't say any of these guys have like unbelievable help instincts or great at executing or verticality or or anything like that. Uh, So and then they've got a a lot of youth as you mentioned, even if they do have a a lot of length, you know, Trent Jr. is okay defensively. I'm interested to see whether he can bounce back to what he showed in the bubble because I thought last year was really a bad defensive year for him. Um, So yeah, the talent is not as good. The intelligence is not as good as well. So, you know, I would be surprised I mean, maybe they'll just force so many turnovers that the math will work out. And turnovers in a league where every possession you're scoring it seems like are even more important than they ever were but uh yeah i I mean i see them as kind of if i had to guess would they be lower than 10 or higher than 10 i'd probably pick lower if i had to and then you also threw in the possibility that it it could turn into more of a, a youth movement by the end of the year
1: yeah yeah i think that's fair and you know i'd have them right around 10 as well um and just for context like yeah they led the league in turnover rate last year and they weren't a great defense because they gave up up like I said before, they were the second worst defensive rebounding team. They sent opponents to the free throw line more than any other team. And as much as Raptors fans might have you believe that uh that's because of the conspiracy, which is of course real, um <laughs> that's because you had a young team that was playing a really aggressive scheme and that's gonna lead to some fouls until these guys get the experience and the discipline within that system so um yeah it's uh it's a long to be a long road to to turning um all that length and speed and fun versatility into production but they I mean there's a foundation there to to build from and and I like I said I I think they could sniff top 10 in defense and I think without much question they'll be the the best turnover-forcing team in the league because they're going to gamble for him like crazy. So, uh,
0: Someone who, to me, has a lot of pressure on them this year is Nick Nurse. And this is not necessarily, he, Hollinger and I both thought, I think it was early last year, we had him as our best coach and some of his playoff adjustments were really good, obviously in 19. In 20, you know, that, that series against the Celtics, which was one of the most competitive series that we've seen. It was great from a coaching matchup. I thought he was pretty good in that series, maybe not quite as good as he'd been the year prior. And then last year was kind of a lost year but he doesn't have the same defensive talent that he had. and um, It's a little bit more difficult because he came in, he won the championship in his first year. And generally when you do that, then you've got a nice long run of veteran teams. And he's proved, I think, that he can coach a team like that really well. But now it's a totally different sort of challenge for him. And can he preside over developing players and winning more games than expected, but getting guys to execute who maybe aren't as smart as they had been before? So it's a, it's rare that you will see this type of a progression in a coaching career And, you know, a lot of guys, you know, you throw Steve Kerr or something on a a developmental team, you know, it's not like they won a ton of games either. So it it is the rare coach who's going to be fantastic in all situations. And obviously we prize when a guy can be a good coach in the playoffs and at the highest levels. But it, it is, you know, if they kind of just are blah this year, you know, maybe Nick Nurse all of a sudden he's not one of the best coaches in the NBA in a lot of people's eyes.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a super interesting year for him. And you know, we're gonna see we're gonna see some stuff. It's not it's not like a one-time anecdote that he tries some funky defenses and stuff. And already in the preseason we've we've seen them do some like inverted two three zone where it's OG and Scotty across the top, and they're just like so long across the top. Um, he's going to junk it up and he's going to try a lot of stuff. Um, Now, in terms of can he be a good development coach? I mean, he has enough experience across so many different situations, including a a fairly long stretch in the G League that you'd hope so. Um, And the Raptors have done a pretty good job developing while winning. And and Nurse was a part of the assistant staff before he was the head coach. So uh, I'm sure there's some credit there. But also, you know, when he was in the G League, those were championship teams. And I'm sure players got better there. But it's still you know you're still trying to win games and he was still able to kind of you know go for wins in those situations so yeah it's it's going to be curious to see and and I think the biggest challenge for him and this came up at the start of the 2019-20 season and it came up I think a little bit last year until the team kind of threw their hands up at the season you know there is a inkling I think on his part to shorten the rotation and play the hits so to speak with guys uh when there's a game in the balance and so that's you know, obviously, roster-wise, this team has leaned into getting younger. Like I said, Chris Boucher is the second or third oldest guy on the roster. I forget, him and Ken Burch are really close, yeah. and they I forget which one's which. Um, but, like, this is a very young team, and they're skewing younger. So management, I think, is signaling, well, we're willing to take a couple extra losses to take our lumps and see if Precious can close games, if Scotty Barnes can be on the floor offensively late in games. And, you know, Nick is, is saying the right thing and I think he's excited about Scotty Barnes and um, all that stuff, but this is a guy who, when the chips have been down historically, he's gone with the, the reliable options, and it's that's not a criticism because his games, his team situations have necessitated that. Like, even that 2019-2020 team, they were winning games, and you want to they were fighting for seeds and all that stuff, so, um, not a criticism, but we're definitely going to need to see a different side of Nurse, I think, where maybe there is a little bit more pay on a night that you know scotty barnes is figuring it out and he's wearing it a little bit and you know the night i guess the nice thing is is they don't have i i don't think a, like a set reliable five they could just turn to and, and run into the ground so um the hand will be forced anyway but i i think that's within nurse's capability i think it's just a bit of a change from what his first two years were like obviously when it was win 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 no i
0: i agree with you and it's not like he's going to get fired if they don't win a bunch Mm -mm. of games this this year i think no he's safe yeah so let's talk a little bit about Scotty Barnes now. What are your early impressions of him? What do you think he can contribute this year?
1: Yeah, he's he's a lot of fun, first of all. He's uh he's a really fun and energetic kid and, and he's very nice, um, which is great. Like I, I know this stuff maybe doesn't matter for uh analyzing the, the final wins and losses, but I really enjoyed getting to meet him at Summer League. Um it's great social content. Everyone around the team seems really drawn to him. Um, you know, he's turning quite quiet, straight man Dragic into a likable guy on, on social and all that stuff. And, um, you know, turning Fred into like the curmudgeonly older brother. Um, so that, that side's good. You know, offensively, when it comes to scoring, it's going to take a little bit of time. He's He hasn't looked bad, I haven't thought, in the preseason. You know, he's averaging 10 points a game and shooting 48%. That's not that's not nothing. Um, the shooting is very clearly not there. Yeah,
0: oh uh, uh, for 5 so far in three preseason games.
1: Yeah, and he hit a couple in Summer League, but he also airballed a couple. And, um, you know, it's just like mechanically the shot's just not there yet. And that, that could be fine. Um, what's been really interesting to me, though, is exactly what was advertised with him, right? And that's the passing. So he has 19 assists through three games. He had eight on Saturday night. And that was eight assists without running the pick and roll. I don't think a single one of those assists came out of a pick and roll. Um, you know, it's a lot of recognizing a cutter, or they run a post up for him, and he and he makes the right read, or um, you know, he hesitates just a bit to make a skip pass. There are some really impressive passes in his. Uh, if you go through the the tape on his assists so far, and I think I think that's a, a good reason to be excited. I think what that points to is a really good feel and potentially a really good learning curve on that end of the floor. And there have been a couple instances too. And again, obviously all the preseason caveats apply, but he's... Look, it's gonna be an issue at times when he doesn't have the ball because he's not a shooting threat and they haven't really used him as a screener much. And I don't know what their appetite's gonna be for using him in the dunker spot, but he's shown to be like a pretty smart cutter. And I think that that speaks to feel and processing speed as well. Um, He seems to have a good recognition of how to draw attention away from teammates. So there's there's some encouraging stuff there. I don't think he's gonna average much for scoring. I don't think it's gonna be crazy efficient outside of his transition game um but i think the playmaking could be real sooner than later and then i think defensively you know he came in as a very good defensive prospect he has all the tools obviously he's maybe not you know as as fluid and, um, you know, flexible as a guy like Ananobi who has all that size and bulk and also just like moves really in rich, really agile fashion. Barnes is a little more, bit more mechanical defensively, um, but he's pretty good at that end and he's an eager defender. So the challenge for him, I think, will be reining in some of that eagerness and, and um, you know, a couple times he's he's going to get rooked, right? Like like yeah. when you're that active and eager a defender, um, the vets are going to know. Like, like I'm already picturing him him biting at Damara's pump fake like it's gonna happen (laughs) um stuff like that but I mean I think I think he's gonna be fun I think he they're gonna give him as much as many minutes as he can handle to see where he can get to and you know he's not gonna win rookie of the year and he's not gonna put up the point total that Jalen Suggs is gonna put up but I think there's there's like I I don't think it's hard to see why the Raptors were enamored with him is what I'm saying even if you do prefer Suggs or would have preferred Suggs
0: yeah I mean to me the number one thing that I'm gonna be looking for this year Like, I I agree with you. I don't think it's realistic for his shooting to be much of anything other than maybe some open corner threes or your wide open spot ups. Uh, I want to see whether he's like a true defensive difference maker, um, not only as, as an on-ball guy where he was very effective at Florida State, but also as a help guy forcing turnovers. Uh, I really would like him to be more effective at the rim for a team that you know doesn't have as much traditional rim protection as well. That's And obviously, can he be a shutdown guy? OG's going to get some of that too, but I'm sure they'll do plenty of switching. You know, what does it look like for him? guarding the the best guys you know how quick are his feet uh can he switch on to much smaller players and and still stay in front like those are gonna be some of the questions that I'm looking at because uh you know if he could that was why I was a little bit lower on him obviously I don't think the shooting is going to come around maybe I'll be wrong about that uh but he wasn't just like quite the nuclear athlete that i was hoping that he would be uh on both like he can get some dunks around the rim but like you know he's not going to go up and like crush an alley uh, on the offensive end and so i just want to see like if you're drafting a guy number four overall with the offensive limitations that he's probably gonna have most of his career is he just a true defensive difference maker top 10 sort of defender in the nba that's what i'm going to be trying to figure out uh, this season whether he has that type of potential
1: yeah, and it's going to be, I think it'll be pretty telling how they utilize him game to game. So, you know, Saturday night, he got the first crack at Jason Tatum. And the the talking point was that we want to see how he'll do. Uh, I still think that, you know, when the games start to matter, OG is going to be that guy for them. Um, But OG's usage is going to climb this year. And once Siakam's back, he's going to be working with a high usage too. So maybe it's possible that, you know, if Barnes is as effective as he can be, that he kind of slides into the rookie OG role where he is taking a tougher assignment and you give up just a little bit there maybe to let OG and Pascal, you know, freelance a little bit where they are so good of forcing turnovers and Siakam is you know in what their starting lineup profiles like like maybe the most vertical threat inside not that he'll be playing center but um you know he he's always been pretty effective when he plays that kind of freelance role and can, can sprint around and cause havoc a little bit so um I do think that there's an important like trickle down on how this team defends if Barnes is uh, a really good defender out of the gate or if he's just okay um but it's nice to have uh, OG as a as a backup for your your defensive stopper if uh, if Barnes is struggling. Uh, anyway, that's just to say I don't think he's going to be certainly not OG's level of defense out of the gate. But I think he can be effective, and and I think that they're going to give him shots. They're going to give him the trial by fire kind of thing with, with top guys. And um, you know if he's getting cooked, switch OG onto that matchup. Or I mean they're going to be super switchy anyway. But you know what I mean in terms of just who's who's your check on the first possession. And, and who are you trying to grab The the whole point with the raptors is they don't they don't care getting back in transition it's everyone's supposed to be able to guard five different positions i think so
0: no that's uh, that's exciting let's talk about what this rotation is going to look like sure. here i mean they have a billion of these long guys many of whom can't really shoot that well i'm not sure if all of them are gonna be in the rotation necessarily but who's gonna start for these guys i mean i know siakam is gonna start out so i mean that seems pretty easy right it's gonna be van Bleet, trent and barnes and one of the centers um but then once siakam comes back who do you think is gonna start
1: yeah, that's a tough one. So, um, you know, Drogic has actually been starting in that spot that you mentioned, Trent, uh, oh, yeah. in the preseason. But I think Trent makes a lot more sense with the starters. And I think that Drajic, like the second unit, needs that kind of steady hand, especially with Malachi Flynn not playing super well out of the gate. Um, so, yeah, i draw it up right now as probably Van Vliet, Trent, Barnes, Ananobi, and then one of the centers. Achu has been decent in, um, in camp, and Kem Birch only just got cleared after, um he revealed today that uh he had a breakthrough positive case of covid um so he missed he has he's basically missed all of camp yeah uh so he'll come off the bench on monday in his first action and then luckily the raptors have 8 days between their final preseason game and the start of the season uh i think that's probably birch's spot more often than not i think achu is going to get you know a few more touches in the second unit and that rim running threat there is maybe a little more valuable uh to help that second unit along then birch just kind of hard screen setting but but not a ton of uh finishing um and I think that just they like Birch's steadiness with the with the starters there. Once the Occam's back though, a couple ways you can go with it, right? You can take Scotty Barnes to the bench, and that's a role he thrived in at Florida State, and that's an opportunity to get him lots of playmaking touches mm. uh are away from, you know, higher usage guys where the opportunity cost of him controlling those possessions is a little lower. Uh, or you could go just gigantic you could have the barnes ananobi siakam 234 kind of like the odd time they they trotted out the Kawhi og siakam trio um i don't I, my guess would be that barnes shifts to a bench role. Uh, yeah that's a Siakam's pretty rough back. shooting group it sure is uh, but here, here's the secret with the Raptors this year. Any unit not involving Gary Trent and Fred VanVleet together is going to be a rough shooting group. Yeah. There's not, unless Svi Mikhailu cracks the rotation, there's just not a lot of shooting here. Um, even Drogic, who's like a nice catch and shoot player, has only been about a at- league average three-point shooter the last couple of years. So uh, that's the secret here, is that none of these lineups are going to have much shooting. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I would think VanVleet, Trent, Siakam, Ananobi, Burt, is like the starting five we see most often this year um when everyone's healthy but a lot of ways you can go with this i i like barnes off the bench a lot because i like the opportunities he's that that's gonna afford him to really expand his playmaking game and have the ball in his hands a little bit more
0: yeah and you could maybe even see them closing games without a center with nnobie barnes uh, and siakam as your three through five that, that might be an interesting alignment as well. Maybe they can get back to more of the switching that was so good for them. Um, any other players that you're like, particularly intrigued by coming into this season?
1: Um, I mean, I'm I'm curious where Gary Trent goes. I don't. I wouldn't say intrigued from a I'm crazy optimistic standpoint. I thought that contract was a little bit of a weird one, just to yeah. also give him the player option on the third year when you're you're giving him pretty good annual value. Yeah, um, it's interesting and, yeah, that he, they've
0: done that for the last two extensions that they've done. They've both given the the player option. I think that's interesting.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's something that they are pretty. Comfortable with, I guess. And, and, you know, it's one thing, like, if that's a team option, I don't mind the Trent deal that much because, you know, if he really hits then you get the third year and if he doesn't hit then you can get out of that whereas here there's almost no path to surplus value because he just opts out if he becomes an 18 million dollar player um so he's a he's an interesting one because he did average 15 points last year he has shot over 39 percent on a big volume of threes for his career so far and that skill is so in demand on this roster but he also you know i i don't think his actual defense lives up to maybe the reputation he had in portland uh, especially during the bubble stretch he is one of the least frequent passers in the entire nba um and that's by assist rate or just broad number of passes um it's great he he had the the lowest turnover rate in the league last year and it's because he just didn't pass um but yeah so this is um it, it's gonna be interesting to see where he goes as a player because he does have you know, as they say, a bag. But that bag is to create separation horizontally or backwards. Yes, it's to clear room for his jump shot. He doesn't use those skills at least yet to get to the rim or put any pressure on the rim. He took fewer than ten percent of his shot attempts um, last year with the Raptors with at the rim, and that is a that's a really really low rate yeah. um, even for a specialist. Ne- so never
0: gets to the ri- or never gets to the foul line either.
1: Yeah. So that's where, and and it certainly doesn't look like that's going to be like through two preseason games he's appeared in. The first one, he took 12 jump shots and and that's that was it um and the second one the only attempts he had at the rim were set up by scotty barnes like in se- in transition or semi-transition so that's that's i think one of the bigger swing things for me this year is can gary trent nudge closer to where the raptors like basically what the raptors paid him to develop into um because right now in the pro, he has the profile of a shooting specialist and they've paid him like he's either an elite 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 shooting specialist or there's more to his game and uh we haven't seen it a ton in toronto yet outside of that one 40 point outburst but uh you know they clearly think it's there and he's gonna have ample opportunity
0: yeah and so some of the stats from last year 23 percent usage but 50 percent true shooting admittedly on a team that wasn't really trying by the time that he'd gotten there and then maybe more troubling as well is 48% of his shots as threes and so you mentioned if you're only taking 48% of your shots as threes and you're not getting to the line and you're not getting to the rim you can't be efficient so some of those things as you alluded to are going to have to change if he's going to fulfill that contract that they give
1: yeah for sure and you know you can you can try to get him in advantageous situations with respect to that um but a lot of his opportunities are going to be Pascal or Fred or even OG create something for him and you know he's attacking a closeout and so far he's shown that when he's attacking a closeout he's going to look to get you know he's not going to look to go further than the elbow really yeah he's going to step in and find room for his jump shot around that closeout and i think they're going to they're going to urge him to try to take that into the paint and next make the next pass um and but yeah, yeah. Well, or, know, or the it's first one of those pass. things where like like <laughs> yeah the first pass it was sounds weird. yeah yeah <laughs> it sounds great that like oh you're an elite three-point shooter when guys run out at you dribble past them and instead of pulling up put pressure on the rim or create for a teammate it sounds really easy it's not and he hasn't shown it yet so um they believe it's there and and then i think you know defensively too he's i i don't think the the defense matches the reputation just yet yeah. and you know the the raptors are going to let him gamble a little bit because they like to be aggressive like that and they like taking those risks. But I would say, you know, whatever the starting lineup iteration, he's the worst defender in that group. Um, So, you know, that puts the bar kind of even higher for are you a positive player for this team?
0: Yeah, I think compared to most shooting guards of his ilk, I think he could be better switching. He could be better on ball. Doesn't really do much as a help guy, but maybe the vision there is, that if you're doing a lot of switching that he could not get overwhelmed maybe that's right that's because he does have a little bit more strength and maybe a little more intensity than you know some of the other guys like a Tim Hardaway or an Evan Fournier who got contracts uh, in the same range that he did now those guys are probably better offensive players uh, at this point but uh, as you mentioned he's still only 22 Uh, last person I really want to talk about though is OG Ananobi quietly took a step forward last year as a creator average I mean when you consider what he is defensively and that to me when he's locked in is the best isolation defender of any position if you just told me I don't I don't know what position the guy is going to be it's going to be randomly generated by chance but I want one person in the NBA to defend in isolation he would be the guy to me he is almost impossible to score on uh, -on one-on-one even for the best guys uh, from what I've seen and so that's a a great skill set to have and then you throw and that he averaged 16 points a game on pretty decent efficiency last year. And he this is his age 24 season. We have seen a lot of wings like him evolve into being much better offensive players as time goes on I think that's the latest developing position that you'll see it is a, a another step forward into being a number two type of option a possibility for Ananobi this season
1: yeah I think so and you know it's funny I I, I do this podcast with you every year and I'm sure if someone went back and listened to the 2017 one we're talking about okay OG Ananobi is going to be a solid defender right away if his knees help healthy but can he knock down threes and, and then he kind of had a lost sophomore year like he played 67 games but he had a concussion he had some family right um some losses in the family his appendix burst um it was kind of a lost year in terms of the trajectory but then 2019 we were like okay well like he hit threes as a rookie what if he can become like a legitimate 3 and D guy and then last year it was like okay well what if he can become a 3 and D guy with a little bit of playmaking capability too and I think that conversation is this year is can he go can he make that jump from okay he's established as an elite role player to ditching that role player tag altogether and i think he's going to do that and obviously you know these are arbitrary cutoffs of elite role player versus you know i don't know what you want to call a top 40 or top 50 guy um whatever you think he could be but yeah he averaged 16 points last year on over 60 true shooting and you look at his career and y- you know, the sophomore year was what it was, but he's he's gone. So take the sophomore year out, and I know we can't do that projection-wise, but just yeah. bear with me. His usage went from 12.4 to 14.3 to 19.3. His true shooting went from 58.7 to 60 to 60.5. You're not supposed to make dramatic usage jumps while staying as efficient yeah. or, you know, getting even more efficient. And last year, some of that was... He's just become a dead-eye three-point shooter at this point. Like, it's back-to-back seasons over 39% on good volume. And he took half his attempts from from three last year. But he also, uh, he also you know, created for himself more last year, where by far, compared to 2019-2020 and his rookie year, was creating by far more field goals for himself. Only half of his two-pointers were assisted last year. And as much as he's a savant with the pick six, the, like, steal and take it the other way, yeah that's not making up for 50% of his two-point shots there's some real self-creation there he took 17% of his shot attempts in the kind of three to ten foot floater range um you know the mid-range wasn't there at any kind of volume but he showed he can pull up at the elbow out of a pick and roll and he's a guy who has always kind of he it's it's been a little low key because he doesn't have the ball in his hands a lot but I've been impressed with his passing and his feel for that kind of for finding cutters and stuff since his rookie year he threw a tremendous one the the other night he was isolating and Precious Achua made a baseline cut and OG just kind of zinged one like eyeballs to eyeballs for an and one for Achua. Um, and I think he has some of that too. So this is the thing about like this is the individual person and item I'm most excited about for the Raptors this year. I think, especially with Siakam out early in the year, the Raptors are going to lean on OG to give them 20 points a night. Fred Van Bleed said Saturday after the game, um, because OG was coming off, he scored 60 points in 84 minutes. So far in the preseason and he's done it on monstrous efficiency and Fred said yeah he's our number one option right now and that's maybe not like statistically true he has a 23 percent usage rate in yeah. the preseason so far that's not like star level usage but there's not a lot of offense here especially with Siakam out and he's gonna have the chance to put up 20 a game and I'm, I'm really excited to see what that looks like you know how how his diet of threes scales how this kind of emerging uh, step back ability and off dribble ability um, kind of picks up in, at more volume and, and then what he can do as a playmaker if the ball's in his hand that much and I don't think it's going to be perfect or seamless it's going to be clunky sometimes and he he's already taken some pretty ill-advised fadeaways and stuff but yeah let him have the ball let him cook let's let's see what's there if this is if suddenly we're talking about a guy who is maybe the best isolation defender in basketball and is also getting you 20 points a game on average to better than average if efficiency that's a guy that's a yeah. that's a really key piece he's he's a lot of he's a lot of fun and uh you know where he goes this year is is super exciting
0: yeah you know maybe something like more akin to what jeremy grant was it, it could be a realistic another guy that people just didn't think had the ability to become that and obviously OG is younger than Grant and Grant his efficiency fell off uh, throughout the year but he did you know he got his usage up into the high 20s a year ago looking at some of the stats from last year uh only about 20 percent of his offense a year ago was what I would consider self-created so pick and roll ball handler isolation or post-up and the efficiency uh, on that was pretty poor you know we're only talking about in total about 130 possessions there as well per synergy so yeah it will definitely be a work in progress but like you mentioned I mean there's Van Vliet there's Dragic and you know they basically don't have anyone else who's going to create something so he is going to get some chances and I think you know maybe working out of the mid-range using that big Bobby being able to rise up over players like maybe that's the next step for him I consider that more realistic than being like some pick and roll maestro or something like that and I think probably most teams would, would switch those those actions as well uh particularly if he's uh, playing at the four but yeah i think it, it could be interesting and you know because you mentioned he already is a good shooter from the outside so yeah mm-hmm. being able to take create some space uh, and uh, get a mid ranger, which th- I mean, yeah, that's not efficient, but it, this team is going to need that type of shot creation in the half court, you know, I guess Trent, uh, Trent will willingly take on that mantle uh, <laughs> as well, but I, you know, I don't think he's can create that as well as, as maybe OG can with his physical tools, but yeah, that's going to be fascinating. Um, let's, uh, Let's get into predictions here now uh, for this team um I mentioned that I thought they would kind of be in the 10 range or so defensively seem like you're in relative agreement there
1: yeah I think I probably put them just a little bit higher I, th- I thought the the Vegas over under 36 and a half was a little low um I just think you know there's there are some holdover pieces here and I think at this point like you're comfortable calling van Bleed and Siakam vets and OG I mean OG's still young and we're talking about him breaking out but this is his fifth season um so there's and and I'm you know we talked about Nick Nurse a little bit earlier and, and it's an interesting season for him but I have some faith there that that um the defensive side and just kind of getting more than the sum of the parts offensively could come along um so yeah I think uh I think they'll probably be in that play in mix and uh, to be clear I said play in mix Uh, on another on I think a radio hit or another podcast not that long ago and someone was mad at me because I I, they took that as nine and ten to be clear I mean like the seven to ten range we're we're giving them as high as seventh in the east Uh, I think you know the east is pretty jumbled up there anyway and you know there are pretty divergent opinions on on teams like the Cavs and the Knicks and and I'm sure the Raptors as well Um, but I'd probably put them to the higher end of that kind of seven to eleven seven to twelve mishmash in the east
0: yeah you know actually a name we haven't talked about yet I I gotta break in here is Pascal Siakam so can you just give us 90 seconds both when he's expected back and uh, you know a season that was Considered very disappointing for him last year, and do we think that this is just last season is just indicative of what he's going to be the rest of his career? I mean, this is his age twenty seven season. He could get better in theory.
1: Yeah. So, um obviously, last season a, a little tough with um he contracted COVID and, and talked about the struggles coming back from that, and then uh, had off season shoulder surgery. So, uh, as far as we know, he he's about a month away. He's only doing one on O stuff. Last we heard, so he won't be ready for the start of the season, and, and they're going to have to work them in and you know given what this year is i don't think they'll rush him in any way having said that i'm not fully in agreement that last year was a bad siakam season necessarily um i thought he took pretty good strides as a playmaker using that defensive attention that's thrown at him um to create for others obviously average 4.5 assists per game um which is a nice little little boost to to a guy scoring 20 plus and then i thought you know a chunk of the efficiency issue and this this counts so it doesn't I don't mean to write it off entirely, but he had a really poor three-point shooting season, and that's in part because he's no longer shooting from the corners very much. Um, But underneath that poor three-point shooting season, he shot better... Uh, he shot the same level of effectiveness at the rim he shot better in the floater range he shot better in the mid-range he got to the free throw line more again playmaking improvement I thought he was a little steadier defensively than he had been in 2019 2020 where um, you know I think he got some all defense votes and and I didn't think he had been quite as effective defensively Um, so really for me you know it was a very up and down year and the uh, closing the clutch time stats were were really poor and there are obviously a number of examples that stand out of of missed shots but i thought for the most part there was some some appreciable growth there in terms of hey how do you use this attention? How do you scale back from being a thirty or twenty-eight percent usage guy to maybe 25%, twenty-five, twenty-six, and becoming more of a, a facilitator and stuff? So I thought a, a fair amount of stuff came along, uh, even if the the true shooting percentage was kind of sunk by a poor three-point shooting season. That was not ninety seconds. I'm sorry.
0: No, no I, I mean that's that's all right. I I got time. I'm trying to be <laughs> respectfully <laughs> of your time here. But yeah, you know, is he? He's not going to live up to a contract that's 30% of the salary cap, uh, and I think that that probably assailed it to me but it,
1: yeah the super max kicker was always a little silly I think it's only 28 percent. oh right? you're right yeah, yeah yeah. like like there was especially like pre like a year out from RFA I didn't really see the need to do that I didn't really people got really mad at me for not liking that extension not because I didn't think like he was gonna get the max whatever happened but you didn't you probably didn't need to go with the, that extra kicker there
0: well the, the thing was I'm And generally, I would say, hey, if the guy makes it to All-NBA, yeah, we're happy to pay that. The problem was he made it to All-NBA, but he didn't actually deserve to make it to (laughs) All-NBA.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and like I thought, you know, I don't, I don't have a vote, but I think I had him on like my theoretical third team, and the third team didn't include that kicker. Right. It was only if he made second team or better. So yeah, which was um, insane.
0: It was insane that he made second team. I mean, the
1: first time, the first time a Raptors ever received love from the media cost the franchise. (laughs) Uh,
0: I mean, De- DeRozan got a few. Uh,
1: but... I know, I'm just, I, I got to play to the audience here, Nate.
0: Yeah, y- you are the media. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I don't have a vote, so.
0: That's true, ne- neither do I. Uh, so, I-, I think, yeah, the the defense will be interesting, um, you-, you know, especially once you get into the 10 range. Last year, I was looking at their 19th, but that's only two points per 100 possessions below 10th. So it really is quite compacted when you get into the middle of that range. And so, you know, do I think they can get to the point where they're going to be like an elite defense? I don't quite think that they can get there this year unless the turnovers and the switching just work so incredibly well. But I I think they if they had a center that I thought was really good, then I would I would get back to thinking this could be a top five defense. But I just there's too many question marks at, at that position to me.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think, you know, a a big thing that I'm worried about within this scheme is I mean, first of all, they're like they're just not going to rebound well. They just don't have yeah. the guys for that. Um, but the the bigger concern to me, and they've been okay for this in the preseason, so so maybe that's encouraging. I just I think they're going to foul a lot, yeah. And that's that's a the price you pay for being super aggressive like that. And maybe you know Nick Nurse has talked about using more zone. Maybe maybe that helps make up for that and lower that somehow. But they were the highest fouling team in the league last year, and I don't. They've gotten less experience. ...experienced... Uh, it's it could be a little a little chippy, and I think you know again I think they're going to be right around tenth in defense because they're so long and they have so many good defenders, and they're going to force a boatload of turnovers. Uh, but I do think you know some of the easier points in basketball, second chances and free throws, are going to be there for opponents. Offensively,
0: I struggle to see how this team escapes the bottom ten. Maybe it's transition. That that's about the only, they just have so little shooting though and so and if you just look at who their primary creators are there's nobody that's in the top half of the league with that so not a lot of shooting and nobody who's an efficient creator and they just don't, they don't have efficient scores on this team not not only do they not have creation they don't really have guys who are that efficient of play finishers either and they don't have much space for those guys to work so it's unless Ananobi and Siakam go crazy i just don't see a way that they could get much above 20th offensively.
1: Yeah, it's tough. It's gonna rely a lot on transition. And they've been for the last couple seasons a a very heavy transition volume team. Um in 2019 2020, that was basically how it all worked and how they were as good as they were was they not only got out and ran more than anyone, but they were more effective than anyone doing that. And the efficiency in transition came down a little bit last year. That's gotta come back up. Like they you can't sell out for turnovers the way that they do and emphasize running that much and not get those easy baskets yeah um, like so,
0: siakam somehow only averaged a point per possession in transition like how
1: i have no idea how what is that possible in transition i I look, I dug in on that a number of times. And I'm like, I don't get it. So he, he just, just like
0: missing in, layups. Was he taking yeah, threes in transition?
1: Or, yeah. It just,
0: a lot uh, of turnovers. actually, this doesn't say that he had a particularly high turnover rate in transition. No,
1: it was just like, he didn't, he didn't finish them that well. And it's, um, so that's that's going to be a huge piece is can you get back to not only running on teams more than just about anyone else, but being efficient within that, because in the half court, like you said, even Van Vliet, who I love and I thought took strides as a pick and roll passer last year and obviously has range on his jumper you know he last year he was asked to take on a pretty good uh chunk of the offense with 24 percent usage rate and he had a 53.4 true shooting percentage because he's not a great finisher at the rim and he doesn't get to the free throw line at, at boatload so and, and like Kyle Lowry sat the whole down the stretch but he also played 1600 minutes last year like they're missing 1600 minutes of Kyle Lowry um Chris Boucher is a fun offensive piece but he's dealing with a dislocated finger and I wonder if you know 63 64% true shooting that he had last year as a high volume bench piece like that might be the the kind of upper limit on a player type like that so um and, and, you know, they're out Norman Powell and Trent is is a less effective version of a or a less effective player in that same spot. So um, this was not a super sharp offense last year. And I think talent wise, it's decreased. Uh, so, yeah, they, they better get out and run and they better score a lot uh, when they're running.
0: Yeah, I would probably have them. It, it, I When I look at it offensively i try to break them into tiers and i i have them in kind of i think i ranked them as like the 24th offense but at the bottom of a tier where i could see them maybe getting a little bit better but you know some of the teams that i have around them you know i think they they are kind of similar to san antonio actually to me like i might actually just make those guys their own tier at 24 and 25 (laughs) because miami new york sacramento charlotte memphis all those teams just have more shooting and a better lead playmaker than these guys do
1: yeah, so it's gonna to be tough, you know. I, 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 don't. I haven't sat down with each team in the the same level of detail that that you do. Uh,
0: um, it's not that much you, detail. I, I pretty much just yeah. eyeball it. But yeah, <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, like like I think you know if the goal is hey twenty first on defense and or twenty first on offense and tenth on defense you can you can cobble together being a, an average team that way and even last year they were um, they were right smack in the middle of the league in offensive rating and defensive rating and that's how they were able to yeah. until the the home stretch there have a positive net rating as they were losing every game. Um, yeah, so I don't they know. actually I think,
0: exceeded I th- expectations. I thought offensively. Less. Like, weren't they better yeah, last so year well. offensively than they were the year before in terms of their at least so, for yeah. most of the year?
1: Yeah. Um yeah, they were about a point per hundred uh better. Yeah. And, you know, some of that norm went norm was really uh efficient last year and the Boucher stepped forward and, and you know, before he got shut down, Kyle was having a very efficient year too. So I don't know that, that stuff replicates. Um but also, hey, you never know who's gonna take a, a step forward or maybe Gary Trent just takes 15 threes a game and hits 40% of them. Um, There are paths to offense. I just don't think there's paths to an above-average offense.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, last year... Berkeley in the glass, they won 6.4 fewer games than expected, which is absolutely insane. So
1: they really were kind
0: of more uh, along the lines of like a high thirties win team a year ago. They're over under. I actually went for the under, so you and I are going to be in disagreement here. And 36 and a half. So and Danny and I actually disagreed. He went for the over uh, on this as well. So I'm I'm kind of lower on these guys than some. And my theory was. And I've been a little bit disabused of this notion by our talk was that whatever they're going to do, they're either going to be way over 36 and a half or way under. <laughs> given given the way that they handled last year which may you know maybe that was Tampa you know you, you said that there's maybe more of an organizational appetite to not be bad for a long time but uh, my thought still is that if it's if they're headed towards the 10th seed like it's one if the 7th and the 10th seed like that's a big difference right we say oh playing that's uh if they're headed towards the 7th seed then okay then then they're going to be way over this and they're going to keep trying. If they're like, "All right, maybe we can get the 10th seed." Then, you know, maybe they act somewhat similar to last year and they have plenty of young guys that they want to develop. Uh- as well. And they take their foot off the gas a little bit with the likes of, of Van Vliet uh, and Siakam potentially. And maybe Siakam becomes a trade candidate again. Maybe even Van Vliet would become a trade candidate again. Dragic as well. We haven't talked much about Dragic, but you know he's another creator that they actually really need. Um, and he can be decent in that role, but also seems like a, a trade candidate unless they're like really going well. So that was kind of my thought. I, I think they're kind of right around this level, 36 and a half as a a quality of team, but I think if they are headed toward 36 and a half, then they drag themselves down at the end. If they're headed towards 44, then obviously they wouldn't do that. So that that's kind of my thought on going with the under.
1: Yeah. And I think that makes sense. I think, you know, I I don't know if they'd have the stomach for quite as wholesale, uh, shut everyone down just like with games back at home now. Right. Um, and we got news, uh, last week that Scotiabank arena can be at full capacity if you're, uh, you have proof of vaccination. So that, that's exciting. Um, Um, But yeah, I think I'm on the over. I think that, like you said, they were a true talent or a true performance of a kind of a mid to high 30s team last year that had some obviously rough variants early in the year and then the COVID outbreak, and then they embraced losing some of those close games. Um, They're not uh, as good on paper, I don't think, but there's maybe a little more room for development with some of the the younger pieces here. Um, So yeah, I I think, you know, forced to pick, I'd probably say, just to keep it clean, 500, um, 41 and 41. Like maybe it's a little less than that, and you could still be in the mix. But um yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and I agree. I, I don't, it's hard to see them winning 36 or 37 games. It feels like it'll be low 40s or 30. Uh, and maybe the average is 36 and a half if we run this season 10,000 times.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, it's going to be an interesting team. I'm going to enjoy watching them early in the season. And Barnes, as you mentioned, is someone that people are going to enjoy watching a lot at a minimum. Blake Murphy, thanks so much for joining us. And where can people keep up with? what you're doing in terms of writing this year
1: yeah so uh ways twitter of course at blake murphy odc um i'll be at sportsnet.ca doing uh, raptors coverage a couple times a week and then again if you're in canada or you just really like toronto sports teams for some reason um sportsnet.ca slash 590 is uh where you can kind of listen to the radio show live and that's 6 to 10 eastern uh monday to friday mornings all right, well,
0: congratulations to our normal Pelicans guest, Mason, Gin- Mason Ginsburg, who is currently honeymooning in Greece, but he was kind enough to set me up with shamat dua who is his co-host on the in the know that's no for new orleans podcast and also the managing editor of bourbon street shots how you doing man
2: hey nate i'm doing well and thank you for having me on in Mason's stead i know those are big shoes to fill i'm not quite the pond master that he is but i try <laughs>
0: yeah well if you ever get uh bill Orham and mason together that would that would be a big big problem i i had drinks with him after the warriors lakers game on on friday he uh He uncorked some gems, as he's known to do on Twitter. But uh, I guess we'll have to content ourselves with discussing a actual basketball here and um, I, I guess the place to start usually we wouldn't start this with some news but what is the latest on whether Zion Williamson with this broken foot that we found out about 2 months after it happened uh, is actually going to you know going to be available to play this season
2: you know that's a that's a great question a lot of people in local media have been kind of wondering the same thing i think um, willie green's going to host a shoot around and um or he, he had a shoot around this morning they didn't talk about Zion but i think pregame coming up here against the jazz will be an opportunity for some media to ask if there's been an update on that front because brandon ingram has been out uh, jackson hayes got hurt in the middle of the preseason and as you mentioned zion's been hurt apparently since the beginning of the summer and they both zion williamson and david griffin said he's going to be ready for the beginning of the season and brian Windhorst on the hoop collective um, was basically um doubtful that that's going to happen and I think a lot of there's a, a lot of doubt creeping in among the locals here as well so the organization typically hasn't been very transparent with regarding uh with regards to his injuries and i part of that's you know Zion and his camp like to keep it close to the vest yeah. a little bit but I guess we'll we'll find out uh maybe we'll get an update today
0: yeah he almost has this and they' Different personalities to interact with, but as far as just the way they are about information getting out, it's almost Kawhi leonard ask uh, as far as his camp. They really seem to like to keep things private, but I agree with Brian, I, not having any inside information uh, on this. And you know, probably worth noting that Brian Windhorst, you know, did cover the Cleveland Cavaliers when David Griffin was the GM there, so make of that what you will. I don't know for sure that that's what his source is, but generally, when he's talking about. About a david griffin team i would expect him to have a pretty decent understanding of what's going on but the reality is given how they've treated him in the past which i know he's chafed at but nonetheless uh and the the organization is still going to have a say in this and the fact that he's not playing in preseason and there hasn't been talk of him playing any kind of five on five you know we just saw him uh doing some very light ball handling drills i think is all we've seen you can update me on any of this if i'm out of date here but it just seems like to be 10 days before the season and we haven't heard anything about him ramping up his activity it seems unlikely to me that he'll be ready
2: yeah i mean the information that you just mentioned is the information Information that we have and you know i've been to practices and i see him uh sometimes like on the treadmill or, or joking around with some of these assistant coaches but never doing any co- court work um and last we talked to willie green he said that zion was going to go another round of imaging before he was uh cleared and that was i think a week ago i want to say and and there's been no updates since so we are very much in the dark just like the general public is well
0: okay if that to me pretty much seals it that he's not going to be ready because if they have, if, if there's still imaging required for him to even be going full bore, there's no way that they're not going to give him at least like a week of ramp up and probably two weeks of, of ramp up, particularly for a guy who's built the way that he is. And also particularly when you consider that this is apparently more of a stress injury he didn't, he, he said he didn't, I, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but he said he didn't know when he heard it, right? So it's probably, just, you know, a stretch stress overuse injury he didn't like come down on someone's foot the way ben simmons did when he suffered this injury so uh I just, yeah. Well,
2: he said he, he, when, when asked about it, he mentioned that, um you know, he was really upset about missing the playoffs, So he was going really hard training really hard and it occurred uh, during his training. And so, I mean, that indicates that it is a stress injury if he says he yeah. was over training it. Um, but you're right. It doesn't seem like it was necessarily like an acute thing where just, you know, like a, like a bang, bang play happened and it, and he broke his foot. It definitely seems like there is stress uh, involved and, and it's probably, tied to his size frankly yeah
0: and, and that's obviously concerning after last year was so incredibly encouraging as far as what he was able to do and how often he was able to play both in terms of games and minutes so i i think it, should we make the assumption as we're talking here that you know it's going to be maybe a week or two maybe three into the regular season before he gets back is, is that what your assumption would be or are you more optimistic I, than that
2: no i mean i'm not more optimistic than that i think if it was any other player logically that would be the approach yeah. you know if it was anyone not named Zion Williamson. However, uh, since, since he is Zion, since he is able to exert a level of control over the organization, since he has previously publicly and privately been displeased with how his injuries have been handled, how he's been put on minutes restrictions and burst minutes, he's been pretty upset about that. Um, you know, that's been a large source of contention between him and the front office. So what I'm leaving the door open for is the possibility he just puts his foot down, so to speak, and says, I'm playing and there's nothing you can do about it. And the organization concedes to that because he's Zion and, you know, they got to do what they can to make him happy. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm leaving my, the door open for that or the window open for that. But I think if it was any other player, it would be safe to assume that, no, this, this we're, we're still a little bit of ways away. Yeah, it is
0: ironic because it seems like the organization is, like, actually did a pretty good job at getting him ready last year and that he was able to play as much as he could. Now perhaps they wanted him to take it easier. And he said, no, I'm going to just play the whole season. Screw you. And then he made it through, you know, maybe, maybe that's what happened too. Um, and so that, that could be part of it uh, as well. And obviously he was really frustrated with the return. Um, it's still the whole thing. I mean, I don't know if I want to like get into like who, who to blame, if there's any kind of a disconnect on this, but I would tend to side with the organization a little bit more on just the, the issues of how his health has been managed, because the reality is he's kind of, you know, he's been overweight at, at times. He hasn't looked the way that he looked at Duke physically, and he really struggled with a bunch of injuries. We heard there was this hamstring now uh, through the the report in the times, pick Yoon as well uh, in the bubble. And so for them to get, have come up with a way for him to actually make it through a season without any injuries i think that's pretty impressive but of course he's not going to see it as like oh i came in out of shape like he's not going to take the blame for that kind of stuff he's going to blame the organization anytime there's a negative
2: result absolutely it's, it's a very delicate situation and yeah you're right i find it hard to fault organization for the steps that they took in protecting him and, and protecting frankly their, their best asset you know that's their best long-term hope for a building uh as david griffin likes to say a sustainable winner um in in this city and in this organization and and so um, why risk it for, you know, um, a rookie year that may have already been lost at that point? Um, why risk it uh, further and, and, and maybe come down with an injury that affects his career, affects his long term outlook? Uh, why not take it more slowly? And, and I think the organization was right to sort of take that approach. Now, uh, I, I hear the argument where. Well, no. The right move is always to make your star happy because you know if he leaves, then what's the point of saving him anyway? But I, I just you know I, I just don't think you can play with that kind of mentality. I feel like you you got to do what's best for your organization. And someone's upset by it, then you know that's out of your that's out of your hands. No, I felt that
0: way too at times when you're talking about moves, and maybe even this could be learned from with the AD saga, where this idea that oh man, we got to get competitive right now, we got to make the moves that the player wants us to make. Ache. Like, okay, yeah, if it's... Bring in my buddy as the fifteenth man. Fine, go ahead. But if it's players are usually not very good at at player evaluation, and so you know to just make the moves that you think are best from a personnel standpoint and a health standpoint, I I think is important. Uh, But that said, I I do. That's probably the only part of this saga I agree with the organization on. And we don't need to get into this too much. I do think though that you know Zion and his camp have a point as far as like some of the moves that have been made since Zion was uh, acquired, or or maybe even after the Trade, but uh, we don't need to get into that too much here. We can talk about what this team is going to be. So, if we could assume they're going to have Zion for most of the year, even if they may not have him right away. Um, what are some of the other big storylines that, that you all have been focusing on in camp here?
2: So I, I'd say one of the biggest topics uh, in camp is what's going to be the starting backcourt. Um, the Pelicans got rid of their previous starting backcourt and Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball. Um, there was a, a lot of discussion around that um, amongst the public and the media in this offseason, especially with, with regards to Lonzo, but you know, they're gone now and they've, they have brought in Devonte Grant. they brought in Tomas Anoransky. Uh, they hope to see strides from Nikhil Alexander Walker and Kyra Lewis internally. And so w- Willie green's been kind of, again, been um, cagey with his answers with regards to who he sees starting. And they've been looking at different groups for now, but I think figuring out who's going to fit, Next to Zion, Brandon, and Jonas Valanciunas, who's also a new addition, um, who's going to fit with those lineups, and then how are they going to stagger the bench accordingly? So um, I think that's one of the major storylines. I think the second storyline outside of the whole Zion stuff is, can they be better on the defensive end because the Pelicans as a whole weren't very good defensively last year, particularly in the first half of the season. And when you lose two people with at least the reputation that Lonzo and Eric Bledsoe have uh, on the defensive end, and even uh, Steven Adams, and you replace them with a guy like Devontae Graham and Jonas and Valanciunas, well, on paper, you've, you've taken a step back. And so how is Willie Green going to manage the scheme and manage the players? Is he going to be able to get Brandon Ingram to buy in on the defensive end Um what is Zion going to provide on the defensive end? I mean, that's that's a pretty big question mark at this point. So I think those are the two major storylines: is what's the backcourt going to look like, and and what's the defense look? Yeah,
0: to let's be. hit on the on the first of those. Um, we can go through just uh, some of the contenders there with Devontae Graham, Kyra Lewis, number thirteen overall in the twenty twenty draft. You mentioned Saderanski. Then there's Nikhil Alexander Walker. They've also got uh, Garrett Temple, who's kind of a a wing. You know, does, not someone who's a, a combo guard uh, the way the first three of those are uh capable of playing the point but might figure there as well josh hart also is maybe in the mix to play some shooting guard or that they might just need him to be more of a backup three type of player uh, as well um you know trey murphy is probably more of a a small forward as well, but kind of that they've got a lot of guys who can kind of move between the one and the two, or or the two and the three. So maybe he figures in that also. Najee Marshall, um, just to iterate there, some of the uh, iterate that I sound like I'm uh on like a Silicon Valley Zoom right now. Um, but <laughs> in any event, so who do you think? What do you think the guard rotation will look like? And to the extent it differs,
2: what do you think it should look like? Yeah, so I think Willie Green for Mm -hmm. all of the preseason games has started. um, He started Devontae Graham and he started Narchi Marshall. And I think that's a pretty interesting look because if you assume, you know, your your rest of the front court is Brandon Ingram, Zymelms, and Jonas Valanciunas, At first glance, it doesn't seem like there's a a ton of shooting um, with with that lineup, and Devontae is probably going to be your highest volume three-point shooter, and Brandon Ingram, uh, while he's taken really big steps in terms of his three-point shooting, I think he still prefers to be a little bit more of a downhill player or settle in in that mid-range a little more. I mean, I think last year he averaged around six attempts a game, which is adequate, but he's definitely not like a, you know, I'm I'm getting up eight to ten attempts a game type person, which leaves you Najee Marshall um, who, you know his shooting hasn't been a a forte of his he's mostly there to provide defense uh rebounding playmaking um just kind of uh in that Royce O'Neal role that the Jazz have but you know Royce has made a lot of threes last year so can can Najee do that um we don't know um, I I personally would like to see uh, Nikhil Alexander Walker um, with that starting group. Whether that's with Devontae and just have that be your back court um, and roll with the with the front court, or um, slide in Trey Murphy there, and and you know Trey can be your three and D type person. He's looked pretty good in the preseason uh, on both ends. You know, offensively he's knocking down all his open shots, and defensively they've moved him around on the court. Like against the Bulls, they had him on uh, Zach Levine for a little bit. They had him on DeMar DeRozan a little bit and he didn't look lost. He looked like he was executing the scheme and using yeah. his length to kind of uh, deter I, I thought he looked pretty so. good
0: uh, against Anthony Edwards. I didn't watch the whole game uh, against Minnesota, but uh, the second quarter he was matched up against Edwards. I thought he did a pretty good job there.
2: Right, and so, you know, it's a lot to sort of ask a rookie to come in and, and take on these big assignments because, again, you look up and down that um, starting lineup, there's no, there's no defensive stopper. there's no, like, hey, this is a guy you're going to put on the best opposing wing or best opposing perimeter player and if, if that responsibility falls to Trey well you know in, in a season that's supposed to be pivotal and where they're trying to make the playoffs, they're trying to be a better team do you want to put that responsibility on, on a rookie I can definitely see a new head coach shy away from that and you know bring him along a little bit slowly but I just think he brings so much um shooting uh, and and just versatility allows you to play up and down um again provides rebounding as well that I I would like to see Nikhil Alexander Walker and Trey Murphy get the knot there
0: um well, so uh, when you say both of them, so you're saying both of them in the starting lineup, or, or just what what one of them being the starting essentially two?
2: Uh both of them in the starting lineup. It, at least to start with without Zion. To, you were saying no, even even with Zion, and and so like you know, I want to roll with. Swett, oh, you want to uh, N- Nikhil be the one. Oh, okay, right. Sorry, you defend that's what the ones, missing. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Nikhil would defend the ones, but I think the offensive initiators would still be Zion and and Brandon Ingram. You know, they had that quote unquote point Zion type thing. Last year, that they found a lot of success with. Um, I think when you give him shooters like Trey Murphy, his his playmaking numbers are only going to go up. And so I think those are going to be your, your prime initiators. And with the keel uh, I like him with a starting lineup because it doesn't overextend him. I think if he's sort of left as like the first or second option in any kind of lineup, um, he feels the pressure to go and create something, go make something happen. And, and at times he's very, very good at that. And it looks like, Oh my gosh, this might be a star in the making. And then at times he looks like wildly out of control. And, you know, he's like either taking bad shots or, or creating bad turnovers. And so I think he, he, He settles in a little bit uh, more when he has guys like Zion and Brandon Ingram just taking away defensive attention and he can kind of um, attack like weak side stuff or attack when uh, the focus is on like the, the defense is collapsing on Zion in the paint.
0: No, I I think that's really interesting. If you asked him why it's been Najee Marshall at the two so far, what do you think the answer would be? I think
2: defense. I think they see him as the, like, we're going to put him on the best opposing player regardless. And so, you know, they think, I I would assume that they think that Zion and Brandon can carry – uh, the offensive rating of those lineups, especially with Jonas in there, um, you know, while they they won't be a a, a high three point volume team with that particular unit, they will be a, a probably an elite offensive rebounding force, probably an elite paint scoring force, and a probably elite at getting to the the free throw line. Which is, um, in fact, that that's that's who they were last year, even without Jonas. And so I think those three things can carry a unit offensively, and so they need some sort of defensive balance. And Naji's
0: going to be their guy this year I think yeah and Najee not a a great shooter his summer league was interesting to me because he did like a ton of pick and roll and on ball stuff and we didn't really get to see him shooting a lot of jumpers so he was almost the primary mm-hmm. guy Trey Murphy was the guy shooting a lot of jumpers so I agree with you I think if Murphy and again they might be loath to to play a rookie uh given this is sort of a pivotal year to take a step forward but yeah I think Murphy in the end we'll see so rookies can get overhyped very easily but it's not like Najee Marshall is like some unbelievably experienced player either right like they're like one right. year apart in age or, or something like that so uh yeah and Murphy I mean his. Shooting 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 really has been a revelation. I've been extremely impressed with everything with him. Yeah, he's not some unbelievable guy putting the ball on the floor, but as you mentioned, they don't really need that. And yeah, with Valanchunas, to have just two total non-shooters and yes, I consider Valanciunas a non-shooter. I know that. No,
2: you're yeah. right. You're right yeah. too. No one's defending him out there, <laughs> and he's not a high volume guy yeah. either. You know, he might he might take a one trailer per game, but
0: right. yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I'm making light of the fact that uh, Woj tweeted right out at David Griffin's about <laughs> that, like he was gonna pr- provide more more uh, spacing because apparently David Griffin, like he he can't actually talk to Zion himself. He has to talk to Zion through Woj tweets about what. <laughs> what they're trying to do so but you highlight an interesting issue here with them defensively obviously Zion has had his limitations I thought he was better last year than he was his rookie year but that's certainly damning with faint praise he's gonna be a liability until further notice And Brandon Ingram, he's better on ball than off ball, but whether it's due to his offensive role or just that he still can't really get over screens very well, you kind of don't really want him defending the other team's best threat on the wing. If you can avoid it, maybe that's what ends up happening at the end of games, but that's kind of a structural issue when neither your three nor your four can defend really good threats. On the wing, on the other team. Now you have to find someone who can do that at the two. But generally, someone who can do that at the two is going to be similar to Naji Marshall, where they're not the level of shooter that you need at the two. And and so it is a, a structural difficulty for Willie Green to have to work out here.
2: No, I I completely agree, and that's kind of a question that's kept me up uh from many nights. Is like you know, can you build a contender around these two all stars uh, given their uh, limitations and? I, you know, a part of me uh, wonders, like, okay, like if you lean all the way into offense, see how far you can get, because we've seen, you know, we kind of saw teams last year where you're like, okay. um, like what is Trey Murphy going to do in the, uh, not Trey Murphy, Trey Young, what is he going to do in the playoffs? He's going to get hunted relentlessly. And teams weren't you know, necessarily successful in doing that. But Atlanta's offense was so good. And, and Clint Capella kind of held their defense together yeah. enough to where like, okay, this was a very good team. And so like, okay, can, can you create a situation where other people hold the defense together enough around these two offensive stars? Because they're going to combine for 50 to 60 points on like 1.2 points per possession a game. Like it's going to be pretty, 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 pretty efficient offense out of those two. And so, you know, the rest of the 13 players in the roster, you only need about 50, 60 points more to like win a game and they got to play defense. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know what the outlook is on that. I do know last year, the last, 36 games, so there was a 72-game season. The last half of the season, uh, they were the seventh-best defense um, in the league, and that was because Stan Van Gundy went away from his initial uh, pack the paint and scramble out the shooter scheme and uh, changed it back to more of a traditional drop coverage, and he had people stay a little bit more home on the shooters rather than just completely pack-the-paint, um, was, was funneling uh, drivers into like that drop-big. And, and I think the players especially the younger players just felt a lot more comfortable in that scheme. They were in rotation less. They weren't messing up those rotations. And the defense took a, a pretty big step forward, along with some, like, normal regression for opponents, like, three-point yeah. shooting, where I think, like, the first half, like, opponents were shooting lights out from three, and and that got better. Um, and so, you know, I don't expect them to be the seventh-best defense this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're closer to average than they are, like, bottom five, you know?
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting to, to talk about it as we get into our predictions at the end uh, but they we still have a bunch of new acquisitions on this team that we need to talk about and I think it, Devontae Graham is something we haven't really discussed much. Um, how do you see him fitting into what the Pels are trying to do?
2: Yeah, that's such an interesting question because in preseason, you know, either he's been taking it easy because he's the vet or, you know, he's just getting his win back. He hasn't been um, overly impressive. Um, he hasn't like tried to exert himself or assert himself in any kind of way. But theoretically, I think Devontae Graham, what he, uh, what he brings is that element of, um, I want to say gravity shooting. I don't want to I don't think he truly has like like a, a tremendous amount of gravity, but relative to the Pelicans roster, I think yeah. he's going to be the guy that opponents key in that on. He could take uh, a three
0: from... off the dribble, which the, is an element they just haven't had in the Zion
2: so far. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, you slot him and you give mm-hmm. him the same shots that Eric Bledsoe had last year, not just the shots he took, but the shots that he routinely passed up. I think Devontae's going to take those shots, right? I think he's going to probably average close to 10 threes a game this year in terms of a and you know if he's canning 39 40 percent of them that's that's exactly what they needed to do and i think what's sort of underrated about his offensive ability is that he leverages his shooting threat into playmaking and it leads to a lot of um frankly it leads to a lot of rim attempts and dunks for his his bigs and roll enrollment man partners you know like miles bridges last year was uh quite the beneficiary of that kind of stuff. And I'm excited to see like what Zion can do with, you know, like if two two defenders are scrambling to cover Devante and he dishes a, a little pocket pass to Zion, um, you know, good luck. Good luck stopping that in traffic. So I I do think that kind of playmaking element was missing last year. And I think he's not afraid to get in the paint as well. And you know, is last year he didn't have that many Devontae didn't have that many drives per game. He averaged about six per game. Um but the year before that he drove about 10, 10 times a game or so and I think he averaged eight assists uh, with Charlotte that year. Was that was kind of his like quote unquote breakout year? And I th- it would be nice to see him in a similar role playing next to um Zion of the
0: eye yeah it will be interesting to see I think I would really want to try and pair Graham and Valanchunas together some when Zion is out of the game I think that could actually be a very nice focus of a, a second unit offense now Graham is powerless to score inside the arc but he makes all the passes uh, to the extent that you can at uh, being basically six foot or under and again you can I think defenses are going to you don't want to go under on him and so that can enable him to get into the paint he'll get a nice solid screen from Valanciunas I, I would be interested to see more of Zion as a role man as well to some degree I'd be interested to see how much they want to play Graham with Zion and Valanciunas you start to run into some defensive questions there in terms of his size as well so you know he certainly falls on the ledger of let's maximize offensively that you're talking. Talking about because he just does not have a, a ton of size and pairing him with Zion and Valanciunas now you got to really get a lot of defense from the other two positions but I'm interested to see what he can do on this team I do think due to his size you want to be careful about some of the matchups and I do like the idea of bringing him off the bench I think a little bit more uh, and he kind of got paid to be that 30 minute per game guy off the bench and at least he can play off the ball as well due to his shooting ability so I I understand the fit with him I can't say that I necessarily would. Rather have him on this team than Lonzo Ball, but I think he can really contribute and unlock some offense that they just weren't able to have the last couple of years due to some of the limitations at the point guard position.
2: Yeah, I think you hit on upon a key point there. Is sort of those non Zion units Uh, previously we've seen that even when they staggered Brandon Ingram into those type of units, Ingram was really the only scoring threat, uh, especially like last year. Someone who could really get his own offense, um, make something happen. You know, When you have Lonzo Ball out there, uh, Eric Bledsoe, whatever he was last year, uh, Josh Hart, Steven Adams, um, they're loading up on Ingram all the way. I think teams are going to have a tougher time doing that this year just because Jonas is there, because um, Devontae is there, and, and hopefully because Keel Alexander Walker has taken another step in, in terms of offense. So I think the key to this offseason for the Pelicans was, can they make the non Zion units better? Um, both defensively and offensively. And I think they've sneakily succeeded in that. Uh, and, you know, I do believe that Zion's good enough to carry units on his own. Um, but I do think that they've sneakily succeeded in, in making his the minutes when he's not on the floor better. We'll just see what that looks like if he's not ready to start the season because it's going to be a whole lot of non-Zion minutes uh, immediately.
0: Yeah, for... For sure. Last guy I want to talk about here is Jonas Valanciunas. And how do you expect his addition to change what this team looks like?
2: So I think for starters, just having a center who is a competent offensive threat is going to be a pretty big upgrade from both favors and, and Adams last year Uh favors I think was um, in the middle of a decline while he was with the Pelicans. Just, I think his body had really hold up well and he'd lost a lot of his mobility and athleticism and they didn't really rely on him to score much. And then Adams, um, Similar story where he was just a low usage offensive big, mostly scoring off of putbacks and the occasional dump off passes. I think Jonas can carry offensive units, um, for moments and bursts. I don't want to say like a whole game or anything, but we saw it in Memphis where, you know, um, they leaned on him pretty heavily, especially you know, besides even in the play-in game um against Golden State and, and even in the playoffs, you get a pretty big game against Gobert. Um, and so I think the Pelicans having a dynamic where there's a, a guy that you can get the ball to maybe uh inside the arc, around the free throw line extended, and then you can just maybe put it on the floor, get a layup get other people in foul trouble, uh, draw a lot of attention on the offensive glass. I think that's going to open up lanes that they that they didn't have before. And then the second part is just, and, and this may be just underrated, where he can catch the ball, where I think that's been a struggle for the Bellicates yeah. bigs in the past. It's like... Uh, when Zion and B.I. get down hell, they get all the way to the rim, they've, they've tried to sneak in passes to Adams or, or Favors We just can't reach down and grab it or whatnot or or just can't hold on to it. I think you he's not a lob threat by any means, but um, he's strong and he can carve out space and, and hold on to the ball and, and put people in the basket frankly.
0: Yeah, and I think also I would from a statistical standpoint, he and Steven Adams are similar offensive rebounders, but Jonas Valanciunas gets the offensive rebound and the ball is going right back in the basket. Steven Adams wasn't that level of, of finisher necessarily. And yet Valanciunas, right. maybe a little bit more of a passer, able to take one dribble if he catches the ball at the free throw line uh, off the pick and roll as well. So, yeah, he's a very high quality offensive center. I think their offense is Maybe going to look better than people think in part due to him. Now, I certainly question the fit with Zion. I would be trying to stagger those guys as much as possible. The other question, though, is what do they have behind Valanciunas and Zion right now? Because that to me looks like a whole bunch of question marks.
2: It, yeah you're you're exactly right you know the the buzz out of training camp and pre-camp was like oh Jackson Hayes looks amazing you know he's hitting jumpers he he's playing good defense he's uh, putting the ball on the floor all these types of things and um you know Jackson Hayes got hurt after uh, one stint in a preseason game you know, he twisted his ankle and hasn't had much of a preseason or a training camp uh since and so we don't really know what the, what that's gonna look like coming into the season if he's ready to take on those minutes I do think he's going to be that first big uh, off the bench it's gonna go to him if he's if he's healthy and you know he's eighth overall pick they're going to invest in him and try to figure out if he's worth uh, extending he's coming up for an extension um this summer if he's worth keeping around or what it is so i think a lot of this year is kind of figuring that out um 'Cause the ideal version of him is one that can hit the three and is um a mobile lob threat and is really good on the perimeter as well defensively. That's the ideal version. Uh,
0: how close we, is he uh, to fulfilling that ideal at this point in your mind?
2: uh probably like I wanna say he's maybe like fifteen percent of the way. But <laughs> <laughs> like do you think he can you know, give them
0: quality rotation play this this season, or are we gonna be talking about that backup big position it's a big liability again?
2: I think he can. I think he came on pretty nicely uh at the end of last year. Uh, He had went through a brief moment where you stand benched him for a couple weeks in favor of Willie Hernan Gomez. And when Jackson came back into the rotation, he looked like a much improved player. And the second component is uh, we talked about them going back to drop defense. Jackson just looks so much better as a drop big than playing at the level of the screen, just because I just don't think he understood where he needed to be, what his defensive responsibilities were. Um, But when he gets to sit back there in the paint, um, he's actually sneakily good at cleansing like like brooke lopez does he's like tagging cutters he's like surveying the floor and obviously he's athletic so he can change a lot of shots um definitely don't want him you know like even in preseason he was on carl anthony towns for a little bit carl anthony towns backed him completely into the basket and then dunked i i recalled that um yeah. Yeah. So definitely don't want him on, on those type of bigs, but you know, as teams go small, uh, the dream is, you know, this guy can get good enough on both ends to where you, you can match him up with like the four, the combo forwards that are like the quote unquote centers in, in a lot of lineups. And, and, you know, you don't lose any perimeter defense there. You can switch in a pinch and then, you know, you can, he's good enough on offense to, to provide value. But behind him is Willie really Hernan Gomez who, um, I would not like to rely on a lot. He's a pretty decent offensive big. He can, you know, score on the inside. He's a really good rebounder, but again, he's just not very good at catching pocket passes. I think, you know, his athleticism limits, his uh, effectiveness defensively, um just not a he's a he's an energy big that you want to maybe rely on like in the middle of like february when teams are tired on like a second on their second night of a back-to-back on like a six-game road trip and you're like okay like hey we need to, like a spark plug like go, go do something i think that's what he needs to be used for but you know anything beyond that you're kind of uh you know asking for trouble in my opinion and then my favorite uh, backup option right now is honestly a rookie um herb jones who uh Willie Green has relied on a lot during summer league and is now doing so in preseason he's just playing him at the five and you know he's a six yeah. forward kind, kind of like uh, Jassar Jakar Sampson
0: sort of role basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and he's he's nifty because he can put the ball on the floor. He can pass a little bit um uh, you know offensively is shooting still a question mark they've glued him with uh glued him next to Fred Vinson and so he's gonna to befriend Vincent's new project. We'll see how how that's going to go. He turned around Lonzo and Brandon Ingram's shot, so hopefully he can do something with with Herb Jones. And if that's the case, then I think the viability of him playing a lot of those minutes at the five and, and small ball lineups goes up big time.
0: So, since you're at practice, this is a bit of an aside here. You mentioned Fred Vinson, who has helped so many players vastly improve their shot over the years. I mean, just from Quincy Pondexer to Tyreek Evans to Brandon Ingram to Lonzo Ball. Do you have any kind of understanding of what makes him so good why he's able to have success when obviously every single team would love to have the track record that he does
2: yeah i think that's that's a really good question because one um i think is a high level of trust between him and the players which i think is key to any kind of improvement they kind of if he has feedback for them, you know, they, they trust it. And so, uh, and two, I think, you know, everyone kind of talks about, it. it's like, okay, you want to make your mechanics tighter. You want to make them more repeatable. You want to just, um, you know, make your shot more concise so you can keep doing that. But it seems like the way he teaches those things, um, really resonates with those players. And he's quick, at, he's good at identifying the specific tweaks that players need to make in their mechanics to achieve that. And so like, it won't necessarily be a total overhaul of the shot. It'll be, um, enough adjustments within their current framework that moves them closer to that consistency.
0: I've never understood why some team doesn't just offer him $3 million a year. Like,
2: um, well, he's, he's, let's just say he's like probably the highest paid shooting coach in the <laughs> league. Already. So, so, you know, um, I think, I think the Pelicans would match whatever being offered.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, they, they don't have the, the deepest pockets, but I mean, obviously like as someone, if you could even just getting one guy to improve the way Brandon Ingram did, who probably had the greatest one season shooting improvement in nba history that's worth you know tens of millions of dollars if you can actually get someone a player to do that um all right, we're to, let's let's talk about the backup guards a little bit more here so let's put these players in order of who you think is going to play the most they don't all play the same position but there is a, as we mentioned some overlap kyra lewis thomas sadaransky garrett temple josh hart so between Lewis, Sadoransky, Temple, and Hart, let's put these, those guys in order of who's going to play the most, who's going to play the least.
2: Ooh, good question. I think Sadaransky probably is the, the favorite here. Um, he's, uh, he's the vet. Uh, well, I guess Garrett Temple's the better of the group, but I think he's the, the veteran point guard, quote-unquote, yeah. uh, has more experience than than Kyra Lewis, can um, play on and off the ball, play that connector role that the stars really need. Um, so I think he's probably the favorite. And then I'd say Josh Hart. And then it's probably a toss-up between Kyra Lewis and Garrett Temple. Um, Willie Green's been starting Garrett Temple in a preseason in lieu of Zion. Which is kind of interesting, um, considering the options that they have available. I've always, I'm hoping that's just like a placeholder type thing, and and he's not getting that many minutes in the the regular season because there are a lot of players at that wingish position, like you mentioned, like Naji Marshall, uh, Trey Murphy, Josh yeah. Hart, and even you know, like even a guy like Didi Lozada, which you know, Garrett Temple is better than these Lozada. So I, but yeah. and, again, and and Nikhil
0: and Devontae Graham are probably in this mix too, given and Trey Murphy, given right. the fact that you know we don't really even. know know who the starters are going to be yet so it seems like a remarkably fluid situation i I can't remember a time when there have been this many plausible options for basically what are four rotation positions
2: yeah and i think the good thing is Outside of like playing Devonte and Kyra together, they're all pretty much interchangeable. You can play them next to each other and, and not sacrifice much in terms of size or, uh, or redundancy. But um, I do think Kyra Lewis gets a little bit squeezed out at least initially to start the year uh, in terms of the rotation. I do think they're going to rely on the vet a little more. Uh, and then there might be nights where, you know, there's an injury or they just need a different look. They need a change of pace guard and they need Kyra to go in there, energized unit. Um, last year, surprisingly um, the Zion Williams and Kyra Lewis and Jackson Hayes units off the bench were just dominant. Like they, they were just running through teams. And they didn't necessarily have a ton of shooting because I think usually the fourth and fifth guys were um, like Josh Hart and like Najee Marshall or um, James Johnson by the end of it. And, and, you know, similar type players and and essentially or Nikhil Alexander Walker, you know, you'd be in there sometimes. And what they would do is they would just be really athletic on defense, fly around, force a bunch of turnovers. And on offense, everyone gets out of Zion's way and Zion just goes, does what he wants. Um, So I'm curious to see if they're going to try to replicate that unit with Kyra and and Jackson, but I I would bet that Kyra gets squeezed out. And then I think Garrett Temple, just by virtue of the crowded uh, nature of his position and and his kind of like relative age at this point, like he's not much of a shooter. I do think he's a smart defender, um, but I I just don't know what he brings to the floor uh, offensively outside of that. So I think Josh Hart probably gets a nod and they probably want to showcase Josh Hart a little bit as a trade piece because his contract's really attractive and and kind of designed to be traded.
0: What about Willie Green? What are your early impressions uh, of him? And is there an understanding of how he wants to change things up, if at all, from a scheme perspective.
2: So Willie Green, uh, right off the bat, has a totally different demeanor than Stan and Gundy. Um, and it's kind of cliche to talk about, oh, this guy's a player's coach, but the players have really been um, bringing that up organically on their own. And talking about how he understands that, like over an 82 game season, um, the struggles they go through, he's been in their spot and, and can make changes off of that. So it seems like the players really resonate with this idea that this guy was in the league for a long time. Um, as far as how he converses with the media, he is well aware of the weight his words carry and is very careful with them. Um not, he's never too high he's never too low He's very even-keeled in in what he's telling the media and um yeah again just very cognizant like you ask him about a specific player and like he's very cognizant of the impact that like what he might say about that player might have um if the player's listening and that's something the stand did not care about last year um you know one of the most famous moments was there's a game in New York on the road and um they uh they blew it in the last moment because they were up 3 and they forgot to foul right. up three I,
0: I was watching that game and, it wasn't good
2: yeah Right, and so staying in the post game just blew up, and just like you know, high school kids could have done this, and all this kind of stuff, and the locker room just did not take well to that. And and Willie's definitely not the type of person who's ever going to go go through that. Schematically, um, I asked him, you know, how he plans on playing defense. He says they they're going to be in drop to start the year. They would like to progress towards uh, being able to switch one through five. Uh, particularly with more versatile units. Um, he did say offensive rebound was going to be an emphasis. Uh, when I asked him if, you know, what he thought about the trade-off between offensive rebounding and transition defense, he's like, yeah, I know like offensive rebounding was, is one of our strengths. We hope to we hope that it stays one of our strengths. And if you're good enough, it prevents the other team from running as well. So uh, I think that's definitely going to be a thing. And then he talks about 0.5 offense. So definitely a curve to disciple the cycle there. Um, you know, he wants the ball moving. He wants them to play at a high pace. And so, um, so I think he's. has been, Brandon Ingram said he's much closer to Alvin Gentry than he is to Stampin' Gundy.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously his ability to get them to defend is going to be a big part of this. And so last specific individual, uh, maybe we should talk about like what Zion Williamson is actually going to give this team uh, on the floor, because to my mind, he ended last season as one of the most underrated players in basketball. And that's crazy to say. Like, I thought he was no-brainer, should have been all-NBA forward. Just like, I think he was way better than Julius Randle, for example, who, okay, the Knicks won, so, and uh, congratulations, he got them to the 24th-ranked offense. Like, these guys were a quality offense during the Point Zion period, like if you look at the numbers of, with him on the floor once they went to that alignment, and again, it was famous how little shooting that and scoring they had uh, around him and Ingram. like That guy was just a monster on offense last year. I don't think people really appreciate that too much. I was really hopeful that he could take another step forward this year, particularly defensively. Now we're coming off this foot injury, but feel free to react to that. And any other thoughts that you have on Zion's season coming up here and how you might improve further in year three
2: yeah for a two month stretch there during that point Zion um, revelation, the Pelicans were the best offensively the best. And like that's in a year where there were a lot of uh, offensive that, you know, finished like in the top 10 all time historically uh, when it comes to like offensive rating, right. They were, they were just really good. Like, you know, the Clippers were really good. The Blazers were really good. Um, I think the Mavs were up there again. Um, and so the Pelicans were the best among that group for, for a two month period. And then they just unfortunately got hit by, all of their injuries at once, you know, Zion, uh, had a thumb thing that, uh, came out, uh, Lonzo yeah, those got damn hurt, referees. I can't, Walker. I can't
0: believe they, they let that <laughs> happen. To him.
2: Yeah. It's the, yeah, you got to take it up with the referee association. Um, but you know, when, when that happened, you know, the Pelicans offense took a step back, but it just looked for a moment that this guy could do whatever he wanted on the court there. I remember vividly, there was a, a game against the Mavericks. Where Zion, we all know, like just doesn't take threes. He's going to the rim. They were hedging him and trapping him as soon as he crossed the half court line, and and which was unbelievable to see him in that primary ball handle uh, role. Just attract that m- amount of defensive attention, and not only was he able to uh, score pretty much when he wanted, he made all the right reads in terms of passes. And so I think his playmaking ability was really popping during that stretch. And if this team furnishes him with better shooters, which I think there's a slightly better shooters this year, we'll see. Um, you know, those those numbers should really take a, take a step forward. And I think this year it's going to be one of those things where, um, you know, maybe through December, he's probably finding his footing. And then, you know, maybe January approaching all-star break and going forward, he's, we might see another stretch where you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, this is, this is why Zion Williamson is Zion Williamson. And, you know, he attracts the amount of attention that he does. Um, I, I agree with you that he was at that, at by the end of it, underrated, uh, when it comes to offensive impact, people made a lot about his defense, but he was just an unstoppable force. He literally carried entire units by himself. And I think when you're that good, when you're that dominant at, at one, uh, at a particular skill, um, you can kind of look the other way with a lot of things. And if he can reach that form again, I'm more than willing to look the other way with, with all the other things
0: um so yeah i mean some of these numbers just for the season 65 percent true shooting 30 percent usage and as you mentioned it, you know he increased the, the amount of passing that he was doing as well nine percent offensive rebounds which is still pretty impressive given how often he has the ball as well they're gonna be one of the best offensive rebounding teams very few teams are getting that kind of offensive rebounding at this point from their power forward a lot of that is off of his his own misses too he's just so quick off the ground on that second jump um As you mentioned, the team offensive performance, he was driving that as well. It wasn't just him putting up the stats. Uh, Last question on him, though. Have you... Seen him in personally, be able to get a sense of like how he looks as far because his weight is always something that is a concern, and particularly with the, having been injured and probably not able to work out much.
2: Yeah, so you know I've seen him. I we saw him. I saw him a lot um, pre-pandemic because uh, we were able to get in the gym a lot, and then the pandemic happened. We weren't allowed in a lot of the facilities, so there was a period of like you just not seeing him in person. And when we were went to games last year, by the end of the year. Um, you know they had us way up in like the 300 sections and so we like it was like very easy to get a good view of him but now you know this year um, you know he, I think he is bigger than when he came in uh, from his rookie year but it didn't look noticeably bigger than really what he finished the year at last year um, you know I'd probably mm-hmm. say he's within 10-15 pounds of, of whatever that was um, so I don't I don't know how long it'll take him to, to reach that shape again uh, I would be surprised though if his listed weight 285 is accurate I would be
0: very shocked if that's true. Yeah, the, accurate in the sense that it's uh, low. Yes. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Okay. Let's uh, get into some predictions here. Any big strengths or weaknesses for this team that we haven't talked about yet?
2: I think the strengths are, I think, offensively, it's, it's, they're going to be um, probably the best like offensive rebounding team. They were last year. I don't see a reason for them to take a step back. And, and that should, you know, just winning the possession battle, both on the offensive end and on the defensive end, I think they'll be a pretty good rebounding team overall, um, should allow them to be a good offense. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like like with at a, at a higher pace that that wants to look, uh, run at, but, um, their bread and butter is going to be in the paint. That's just going to be the function of whatever team's Zion's on. And, and now that Jonas is also here, they're going to double down on that strength and teams are going to be in for a long night. And I think going um, hand in hand with that, they're going to be um, probably one of the teams that gets to the free throw line um, the most. Like I'd say they'll finish top five in that area. Well.
0: No, I, I agree with you. I mean, this could be one of the best interior scoring teams that we've seen in like the last 10 or 15 years. It, when you add Junas yeah. To Zion and the offensive rebounding as well. I mean, they're just going to absolutely bludgeon teams, and you know, most. It's also going to be interesting because you know Stephen Adams. You could probably get away with putting your power forward on him and putting your center on Zion. And now I don't know about that. Like Jonas Valanciunas, you put <laughs> like the your combo forwards of today who are playing the four. You know, you throw a Jeremy Grant or something on Jonas Valanciunas, and Jonas Valanciunas is just going to knock some heads in the paint. Now there isn't going to be that much. But if you're putting the ball in Zion's hands, that's okay, right? You can have one other non-shooter as long as Zion also has the ball if the other three guys can shoot. And so, because uh, he still was able to be successful that way. And Valanciunas has some pretty good gravity on his own with his offensive rebounding. So I think offensively, yeah, it would be nice if you know you had Brooke Lopez or Miles Turner next to Zion, that would be ideal. But I, I do think this is something that's going to be extremely hard for a lot of teams to stop if Zion you know, is really playing at the same level that he was last year um you know, uh, other strengths, uh, I guess, like, I think it's a pretty decent guard depth. They don't necessarily have amazing top end talent. Like, there isn't really anyone that you look at uh, on the guard line as an established starter, but they have enough outs that you would expect that two of those guys are going to emerge to play well enough to be starting caliber. So, I, I, and they can withstand some injuries in the backcourt, maybe less so in the frontcourt. That's another thing I, I would point to. Um, any other strengths or or, uh, or weaknesses here that we should talk about?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit less confident on the on the guard play. Like, I think they have uh, players that can play. I just don't know if there's enough, like, top-end talent for yeah. them to really sustain for a long time. And But, you know, one thing I do think that they're able to do this year is create a starting five where it's difficult to hide a player, like, defensively on. So, like, you know, last year, you could probably get away with putting your worst defender on Bledsoe and, and live, right? You could even probably get away with putting your worst defender on, on Lonzo because he's not a threat to really, like, attack the paint. He's going to be a catch-and-shoot guy and then likewise like with your forwards or bigs you just put them on steven adams like what's he going to do right i mean what most he's going to do is he's going to beat you up on the offensive glass which is tough but you know you kind of live with that trade-off this year i think they can create a unit where Teams really have to think about like where are we going to hide people. Um, but you know when it comes to weaknesses, uh, I, I think we have talked about it earlier. Is like if if the if Zion goes down, if Jonas goes down, like what's the what's the depth in the front court look like? And so far, like I don't think it's really solidified. I think if you know if Zion's not there, you can slot in one of the wings and probably be okay. Um, yeah, not great, but you would probably be okay, right? You put in Trey Murphy there. You can put in Najee Marshall there or something. Probably be Okay. Um, you'd probably be better defensively as a unit. <laughs> so offense, you know, you'd know, you have to change a little bit and rely on Jonas more. But if Jonas goes down, well, yeah, I don't know what you do. I, I really don't. And so I, I don't think Jackson Hayes is ready to start uh, for for um, extended periods. And I don't think uh, Billy Hernan Gomez is the answer either.
0: No, and this is what we're talking about with the guards too as, as a possible weakness. You know, I don't want to say this is for sure weakness yet, but getting the right units out there that fit and make sense and even just determining who the best players are and who deserves to play that's a very difficult burden for a first-year head coach i mean there's just a lot of guys here and a lot of guys who might emerge into being good whether it's murphy alexander walker kyra lewis you know, even someone like Hart is not like particularly established at a star level. You also got sort of the try-hard vet. You've got the try-hard in Temple, the try-hard young guy in Najee Marshall, the try-hard point guard guy in Zataransky. And so there's so many different types and options here. And, you know, some of the young guys, do they get buried if they don't start out well, or because they do have to try and win this year, or do they give those guys too much time when they're not being effective? Do they get too much rope? Are they being Put together in combinations that make sense, all of that i think is going to be really difficult for willie green to navigate i don't know i really right now like what combination is going to work the best. i don't know Nikhil alexander walker flashes all the time but as you mentioned he's really inconsistent how do you deal with him and so i worry that there's going to be a lot of rotation roulette uh, particularly early that may not be conducive That it's going to take a while to find the combinations that work and just figuring out who the players are who even deserve to be playing at, at that one through three
2: yeah and particularly if if zion's missing time there's 100% going to be roulette there and so Willie mentioned at practice that he likes to go 10 deep and so I think the 10 deep are going to be you know your five Jonas Zion, Brandon Ingram, Devontae Grant, Akilah Alexander-Walker. I think those are probably your five quote-unquote best players. And then, you know, you're looking at Tomas, Sandoransky, Josh Hart. um, That's seven. Trey Murphy. uh, That's eight. Najee Marshall, nine. And then your 10th person is probably Jackson Hayes. Probably and and yeah I think that's probably the 10 they start off with and if one person's not doing so well or if there's a particular matchup that's not suited for them then okay let's see what Kyra can do or let's see what Herb Jones can do let's see what you know Billy Hernan Gomez can do if someone's in foul trouble um but yeah I think those those original 10 are probably what they're going to start off with but they're probably going to move those pieces around a lot in terms of who's starting who's who's coming off the bench or who's you know closing games who's closing quarters or halves that's going to be a work of progress for sure
0: all right let's get into predictions here and i I like to talk about what i think they're going to be in terms of offense or defense If I knew that Zion were healthy all year before the injury is kind of when I did these rankings where I try to figure out where they're going to rank. I thought they had as good a chance of not as being a top 10 offense. And I still think they can get there. They can play at that level at times. I'm just concerned that Zion is going to look more like he did his first year in the bubble to start off. He obviously could go down again as well. I mean, it's really... They tried to manage it obviously by not saying anything and just having it pop up the first day that he got to camp, uh, which is, by the way, remarkable that that didn't get out. I mean, that that is crazy that that ended up not getting out. Maybe uh, the fact that uh, Woj works for CAA helped help with that. Uh, but I, I mean,
2: <laughs> no, that's not the first time they hit the they hit the hamstring injury in the bubble. No one knew about it. They hit it from the coaches. Nate. They hit it from the coaches. So um, there's definitely some stuff going on there. Uh, Uh, when it comes to privacy regarding his injuries and and so it calls into question like if you can i actually wrote an article about this i'm like you you really can't take their word for it um anymore when it comes to him and his injuries you just can't trust them and and so we'll see we'll see what happens yeah i
0: mean the fact that he's at least been ambulatory and spotted like in the gym at least makes you think that he's not, you know, like months away or something like that. But we've also seen guys, you know, I want to say it's like something like 80% successful when you have the Jones fracture, um, of that, uh, fifth they said it wasn't jones. okay so they
2: said so they said it was um i don't know if it's been confirmed but i think the 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 word coming out is like it's a avulsion fracture so which is a little bit less of a, a serious deal and i think um players make miss a lot less games um so it wasn't a jones it was more yes it was i think they, they said it was an avulsion
0: oh interesting okay yeah that's that's actually much more encouraging in that case because yeah when i heard fifth metatarsal i'm like okay that's a jones fracture that's what that is but uh no that, that's an important clarification certification and so maybe that makes you feel a little bit better about things but still i mean i'm gonna pencil zion in for 60 games right now and i'm just not sure what level of effectiveness he's gonna have and so yeah i think when he's out there and everyone's ticking, I think this is a team that could be a top 10 offense, maybe lower end of the top 10, but I have major concerns about their defense. I've got them in the 20s defensively. I just think that Steven Adams, they are actually going to miss him. I think Valanchunas is a, a downgrade. He's a nice offensive upgrade, but I think he's a a slight too significant downgrade defensively over Steven Adams, who has more mobility than him. I think Zion... I don't see him being able to take a step forward this year as well. You know, if a first year head coach and say what you will about Stan Van Gundy, but you mentioned that they got him defending really well towards the end of of last year. He does have a pretty good track record as a defensive coach. Willie green is, you know, he could be good. He could be bad. We don't know uh, on him, but I'm not, I don't know that him as a first year coach is. you can say he's going to be a better defensive coach than Stan Van Gundy. Uh, So I I think kind of in the twenties on, on defense, and then you know maybe the low teens on offense is kind of where I see them ending up here, and I would give them more upside on offense than defense personally. But you said you're you're higher on their defense. It sounds like than I am.
2: I'm a, I'm a little bit more bullish, mostly because they're not going to go through half a season of hey we pl- we played a scheme that just did not work for our players. I think just. Starting right off the gate uh, in a scheme that everyone's comfortable with, and that they found success in last year, is a little bit of a head start. And so, so, so they're going to try know, and
0: play the, the same way. That's the plan, as far as you can tell.
2: Yeah, the the, the yeah, for the most part, you know. I mean, I think they're going to probably have some different like terminology and some different ways to defense specific actions. But I do think you know, like they're going to sink their big back. Um, Jonas is going to stand in the paint a lot. You know, Jackson's going to be in the paint a lot, and then um, you know they're they're just going to play your Conservative drop defense that um, a lot of defense, a lot of teams run, and so. But what I do also think is that um, you know I know Eric Bledsoe had a, a, a reputation of being an All NBA defender. Oh, he, he was not good before. last year. Yeah, he just wasn't good, and I think you know Devontae is not better than him but uh you may get more on the effort side and then i think with regards to lonzo um depending on who they put out there in that starting lineup you know they might they'll probably have someone who can navigate screens better i think lonzo is like extremely good when he's um playing off ball and getting his hands in the passing lanes and generating chaos and turnovers i think he's arguably like underrated on, on that front. But when it comes to point of attack defense and uh, navigating screens, man, you hit him with one screen and he's wiped out. Yeah, and I He think,
0: moves in a straight line better than he does laterally. It
2: seems like. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, I think it's a really fair assessment. And, and I think, I think the Pelicans should be better at the ball containment front this year. And then, just uh, I just think they have more size in the wings, just with with Trey Murphy and, and Najee Naji Marshall getting more minutes than they've had in the past. Where you know you're not going to get half a season of minutes going to JJ Redick. You know you're not going to get um, Nicola M- Meli minutes this year. You're not going to get um, you know Josh Hart being your power forward, and you know he's like the biggest guy in that rotation. Then you have a bunch of guards. So I think just being bigger um, is is going to help them. So I would push them closer to average. I'd say like 19 is. About where I'd, I'd peg him at when it comes to defense, so like
0: just under twenty. Yeah. Okay, we're we're not that far off. then. I I have him in a tier between eighteen and twenty seven. But it, so I you know it wouldn't shock me if they get into the top twenty, I guess. But I, I'm kind of seeing it more in like the twenty three to, to twenty five range. And and yeah. particularly if Zion had had a whole lost season, and you tell me he's coming in looking incredibly trim and he can maybe take the next step defensively, I, I might feel better about it. I do think you make a good point though, relative to last last year that they should have fewer minutes being played overall by replacement level players. I would say that Eric Bledsoe was pretty close to a replacement level player last year and Nelly and, and, yeah. and, and JJ Reddick struggling. So yeah, they do some more athleticism. A lot of these guys are unproven, but you know, they, they would have killed to have a Thomas Sadoransky or a Garrett Temple available at times last year. And those guys Absolutely. you know may or may not play much more than 15 minutes a game or 20 minutes a game.
2: I, I agree with that. And and yeah, I think I think your assessment of that's pretty accurate.
0: So especially given the Zion issue, these guys to me have more variability than most teams. And again, if Zion were coming in super healthy, I might have even predicted these guys to be, well, Well, I shouldn't say that because before we knew about his injury, I did pick their under a 40 and a half. Uh, so I wouldn't say I was predicted, but I think I would have thought that there could, Zion could reach even more of a level and this team could get into the high 40s and wins because he could just be that good in this his third season and now it's just tough to project that given the injury so and shit always seems to go wrong for these guys as you as you are of well course. well aware
2: <laughs> <Right>. um <laughs>
0: So do you want to go first on the win prediction, or sh- or should I do it?
2: Um, are we are we just doing the over under? Uh, well, you're just like you number? predicting
0: number of wins in the regular season.
2: You know, I'm I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say 42. I'm going to say they get 42 and they're in the play in. Uh, I can't say if they're going to be in the play in trying to play in or or they're in the play in trying not to get played out. That I, I'm not confident about, but I I'll say they're in the play in and they win 42. Yeah, and
0: certainly from an incentive standpoint, with Zion Williamson extension eligible next. Summer, they will be pushing for every possible win uh, that they can get this year, whether that's the tenth seed uh, or not. Uh, I think even if they're within spitting distance of the tenth seed at the end, with four teams in between them, they're gonna push for every possible win. Uh, um you know, just thinking, hey, even if we get the tenth seed, we got Zion, maybe we can try to get in. We got to at least get like a small taste of postseason, not playoff, but postseason <laughs> basketball. But I'm gonna go with 39 wins for this group. So we're we're not that different. Uh, On this, I think that the Zion injury concerns me the front court depth concerns me. I think as I kind of just do the math of what I'm projecting them in offense and defense, if they're low teens on offense and they are in the 20s on defense, that's kind of where you get. Uh, but I do think this team has some upside, uh, much, of course, depending on Zion Ingram, who we didn't talk about at all. You know, He kind of he seemed to stagnate a little bit last year, but he made such big gains the previous year. You can't get get on that too much. I, I don't know that I foresee like some big breakout year from him necessarily, but that's uh, I think these guys could pop you know they have some young guys who could do it they have some decent depth the ability to just bludgeon people in the paint during the regular season i think could be really effective uh there's just so many guys here that we haven't seen them together at all and a lot of guys who have a lot of variability performance so i definitely am struggling to project this team more than just about any other team that i've done this for so far
2: well one thing i keep coming back to is last year they were almost historically poor in the clutch right in the in the last five minutes of the game um, um, you know, I, I believe it was like 12 or 13 uh, double digit leads blown. Uh, they just could not generate any kind of offense in, in those times. And part of that was Stanman Gundy's insistence to play. Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe, no matter what, regardless of the matchup. And so again, you you have a situation where you have um almost three non-shooters on the floor, and then your best shooters are, are Lonzo and, and Brandon Ingram. And and in those situations, Lonzo's not much of an asset in late like, situations outside of just being a spot up guy. And it's it's on Brandon Ingram and Zion to kind of create something out of nothing, and they just did not do a good job of it. And so I'm optimistic that that changes both from like, a hey, a little bit of they're going to regress to the mean and variance and is going to be in their favor. But also that they have more pieces to play around with. And Willie Green's shown himself um, willing to not just stick to a particular group of players and really experiment with like different looks. And so if they're better on that front, like I, I just... I have a hard time seeing them as not a better team than last year overall. Maybe you know, maybe it's not as as good as as winning forty two games, but I definitely think like your prediction of thirty nine is like pretty pretty fair. And so like our difference in those win totals probably is um you know based off of like you know I'm slightly more bullish on the defense and and whatnot. So that probably accounts for that fact.
0: Yeah, according to cleaning the glass, they had the point differential of a thirty nine win team last year and won uh, in the 72 game season 3.4 games fewer than their point differential would have expected so it it, certainly statistically is something to that argument well we shall see what happens I'll be watching closely especially once uh, Zion comes back and where can we keep up with what you're doing this season
2: yeah you can follow me at fear the brown on twitter and you'll see my writing at bourbonstreetshots.com um at wdsu.com and then obviously the podcast at in the Know. Yeah, in the know that's uh, n-o
0: uh, so search for that on your podcast players thanks so much for joining us and, and thanks so much listeners for subscribing we'll be back to finish out uh, these team outlooks uh, in the next three four days here we'll talk to you all again soon Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's
1: advocate here
0: let's see so no that's a good thing uh,
2: <laughs> that's definitely not a problem uh, Reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil